Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back everybody to the Almost Sideways Podcast. It is episode 191. We're recording this on Sunday, September 18th, 2022 at about 5.45 p.m. Pacific time. That means 7.45 Central time where Zach's at. Shout out to Central time. Anyways, I'm Terry. <laughs> we got Todd. We got Zach. I got I got nothing. That That was horrible, but... We're going with well, it. You just said you just said before we started, like you like it's been a weekend, and I was like, that's exact almost exactly what Seth Rogen says in the forty year old version. Like, oh, I had a weekend, you know. Like we went down to Mexico and went to this show. It was a lady fucking a horse, and you know, I was really giving it to her. You know, that was that was the first thing I thought when he said, "I had a weekend." <laughs> first oh, sixty yeah. seconds, yeah. first f bomb. Nice. <laughs> that that's a new record. I believe. I believe it is. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> it, all right. Okay. So we got to do the check-in today. How, how have the weekend bets gone? Saturday was good. Today, not so much. Shit show. Absolute, absolute shit show. I've lost Easiest all my money. money I made was under, I bet under seven and a half points for Nevada against Iowa. Yeah. I don't think they crossed midfield. <laughs> Guess which idiot had money on the Browns today? This guy right here, phenomenal, phenomenal Joe Flacco. I didn't even know he was still in the league. Awful. I have Awful. to stop parlaying. That's what I've decided because I'll have a good beat on something and then I'll say, oh, and I'll parlay it with this other thing to try and bump it up a little bit. And then that other thing, like I, I was all over like Tampa Bay minus two and a half. I had that good. And then like, I'll parlay it with Cincinnati minus seven at Dallas. They're starting someone not Dak Prescott, so they're going to suck, and they win the game. They win the damn game. Well, wasn't that Tampa game like 3-3 three to three in the middle of the fourth quarter? Yeah, it was, or and then it ended up 20-10. to 10. There was a fight in that game. I heard. G- Giselle came out on the field and tried to serve Brady with divorce <laughs> papers, a la, you know, Jason Sudeikis, but, you know, Mike Evans just wasn't having it, had to stand up for his boy. Yeah. And he said, don't worry, darling, I've got you. Oh, no, it didn't quite happen like that, but uh, it was pretty amazing. No, it was kind of rare, Terry, because I actually got to watch the end of that Cardinals game, which was pretty amazing because the guy returned it for a touchdown to win the game. And he almost did the did the Leon let where he was holding it out and uh, threw it out of bounds. OK, pretty so I impressive. missed the end. Who won that game? The Cardinals. They, oh. they're, 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 their season is so live. Coach Ryan Gosling is still in the league and uh, they're they're hanging on somehow. I had same to, record I, as you guys. I saw them go into, uh, I saw them go into overtime, and then I had to, I had to leave where I was, so I couldn't watch watch the rest of it. So the entire NL West, NFC West is one, one and one. one. That's nice. Yeah, and and Trey Lance is out for the season. Breaking news on the problem. And depending on who you talk to, that's for the best for uh, for the for the Niners. Would have been yeah, good for me a week ago when I bet on him. All right. Well, let's see here. Hold on. We're all out of order here. Let me fix this. Oh, wait. That's not what I want to do. I want to do it this way. 
There we go. That looks right. It's an old that habit. Feels right. It's like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. Jim Lovell says. Yeah. Really, that would mean that you're more in the middle, Terry. But that's okay. It's true. It's true. Who? But, so, am I swaggered in this? And is Todd sick? Yeah, Todd would definitely eat the ass out of a dead rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's with all this bestiality? That's twice in one episode. <laughs> Or interspecies erotica, as they say in Clerks too. That definitely had an over under of one and a half, and someone hit that <laughs> in the first four minutes. Over over one and a half bestiality references. Nice prop, whoever won it. Zach, what are you drinking? I, I was drinking wine until we delayed this, so I'm I'm post gaming it with some water, but uh, I'm still feeling the lingering effects of some wine. So uh, there, you still got something, some juice in there. Nice, nice. Todd? Uh, I do have some wine. Uh, it is the Edmundo Pinot Noir from Patagonia, Argentina. So it's pretty good. Edmundo. I mean, it sounds like, like uh, what what was that show that we that you used to watch all the time? That had oh, Rocket Raimundo? Power. Rocket Power. It's, I, 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 that's what I heard when I heard Edmundo. <laughs> Raimundo, man. All right. It's pretty good. So I, I've uh, I've had, I'll be honest with you, I've had to spend the entire weekend with the in-laws, so I'm a little tired. I'm a little wired. And I would like a little appreciation, okay? Um, no, I decided to start this off with uh, something nice and strong and rich. So I have, this is out of, well, what, Hop Capital Brewing. Um, it is a chocolate peanut butter oatmeal stout. That's spiffing good. That sounds awful. It's 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 really good though. This I mean the stout, I mean it's got that chocolatiness to it to begin with. So no, it's it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I, I think I'm gonna switch to something else halfway through once this one's gone though. And uh and my movie uh in the background this time is uh is the children's classic Encanto. So not Ed- we'll look forward not- to that with great anticipation. Not Edmundo. <laughs> not that Edmundo. One was, yeah, didn't turn that one on. <sighs> all right well let's uh let's get this going first off thank you guys so much for listening i don't know why you would still be listening after the five minutes you just heard but uh thanks for sticking it out uh we're make sure you're subscribing rate and reviewing all over the internet wherever you find your podcasts um apple podcast stitcher wherever uh let's get into this talk about what we've been watching and we are going to start today with todd Tell us about it, Todd. All right. Yeah, I went to my number one most anticipated movie of the year, Kevin Smith. Ridiculous. Uh, closing to his Clerks saga, Clerks 3. And I, I watched the first two in preparation for it even, and I'm glad I did because there is a lot of um, a lot of callbacks. But uh, this checks in with Dante and Randall, played still by Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson, everyone's favorite uh, convenience store workers slash fast food employees as they are now still owning and operating the quick stop at her age 50 or something. And Randall has a really serious heart attack, like right out, right off the bat. And um, then he has a new perspective on life, realizing that he thinks he should make a movie about his experiences, particularly those with Dante. It's sort of in a very meta way, like mirrors Kevin Smith's experience, making the original clerks and also his own near death heart attack. He had in 2018 
And then it sort of takes the format of Zack and Mary make a porno, where it's like these bunch of amateurs making a movie, but it has the heart of the ISK universe. Uh, Kevin Smith said that this is like a, he wrote this movie uh, in a, a first and it was way too pessimistic. Jeff Anderson wouldn't sign on because he didn't, he didn't think it was right. And he even plays with that in this movie, which was really fascinating. Like he really goes for it. It's, it's by far the most emotional thing that he's put these characters through. And while Clerks 2 does have some of those moments, it's like a damn near drama at times. And uh, there are scenes that almost feel like six feet under or something with how they memorialize certain characters. And he brings back cameos from like all of his movies. And he somehow gets the original non-actors from the first one to reprise their roles again in this one, which is interesting. You could immediately tell who these people are. You know, it's been 30 years almost. And um, it's absolutely a movie for his fans. I mean, not as much as Jane Silent Bob reboot, but it's pretty close. Like it really is a movie for Kevin Smith, but seeing how many fans like showed up to this when, when they didn't really market this at all, uh, it just shows how big his fan base is and how loyal they are to Kevin Smith. And he does have something before and after the movie. So if you're going to see this, which I, I know that they're doing the roadshow thing here shortly, um, definitely stay for after the credits. I mean, but if they're into the roadshow, he'll probably be there too. It is a kind of a big mess of a movie, but it's also kind of perfect in its messiness. I, I, I can see this rising up the ranks of Kevin Smith movies over time, but for now, I'm giving it a solid three stars. I'm so glad that I was able to experience this and that this actually got made. Very nice. I thought about seeing that this weekend, but there were like six new movies in theaters this weekend. And uh, and yes, the, this this just missed the uh the cutoff of what i was when i only had one showing a day which doesn't doesn't help if you're trying to right. schedule that into something but exactly you make it worth it mm-hmm. so todd you are almost as big of a kevin smith aficionado as you are a cage and matt dylan aficionado so where, where does this rank on uh the kevin smith hierarchy well i mean it's behind the first two clerks and chasing amy i think it might be either fourth or fifth i i don't have a, a definitive ranking was he in the audience with you like uh the last clerks movie no well then because oh. no, it that 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 whole thing is starting i think in, in like next week or something but this there's a, a pre movie and a post movie uh thing where he is talking about basically welcoming you to the movie and then like talking about the experience of the movie and other almost like a dvd special feature kind of thing at the end which is which i mean is is essentially what he does when he's in the audience but he also takes questions what are your thoughts on jersey girl i think that's an underrated movie gets the heartstrings going i'm okay with jersey girl but i mean that that was that was his first real step out from what he was comfortable with his first non-universe movie God, Terry gave it the worst rating of the three of us. That's the most Terry movie that Kevin Smith has ever made, and we liked it more than he did. Oh, I need to watch that one again. It's been too. It's been way too long. Yeah, I've seen it once. It's been. It has been quite a while. All right. Well, let's move on. We're going to Zach next. What'd you watch? All right, I did a double feature this week of X and Pearl. Nice. Ooh, uh, nice. So I had not seen X. Um, it is the uh, movie that was released earlier this year. Uh, by uh, Ty West, and uh, I'll, I'll talk about that one real, real br- briefly. I know Todd has seen it. It uh, takes place in 1979 in Texas, and it's about this uh, film crew, very amateur film crew, that goes out to a farm in the middle of nowhere <laughs> to try to shoot amateur pornography. It's sort of like uh, Days and Confused meets Boogie Nights, but it's a horror film. 
And uh, it's pretty good. I mean, it's got some real nice kind of slasher Texas Chainsaw um, elements to it. Uh, very kind of exploitation-esque. Uh, I like a lot of the actors in it. Uh, the Maybe, maybe the, the main actor in it, it's, a, it's an ensemble cast, but the main actor is Mia Goff, if you, if you were to pick out a main actor. And in the movie, she plays a character named Maxine, but she has a dual role. And without spoiling too much of that movie, uh, the other role that she plays is a character named Pearl. And that is why X gets three stars for me. Really solid movie. I, I did enjoy it. Uh, Pearl is the spinoff of X. And it's really the origin story of this character who Mia Goth plays in X, um, except it takes Pearl takes place when the character is much younger. In, in X, Pearl is a very, very old lady. Mia Goth's wearing a lot of makeup and prosthetics. In Pearl, this takes place, I think, in 1918. And um, it tells the story of Pearl as she grows up on the same farm that's portrayed in X, um, although obviously not really working uh, on a pornographic film. Um, she lives with her, her parents and she's engaged to the guy that she ultimately is married to in X. Um, gosh, this is a weird movie. Uh, I don't really know why Ty West felt the need to do an origin story of this crazy uh, character. I kind of loved it, though. I totally dug the vibe of it. And um, it's you cannot find two movies that are further apart. There's a there's definitely some Tarantino in these movies, and it feels a little bit like Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 in the sense that this movie, like Kill Bill Volume 2, is a lot more restrained. There's a lot less blood blood splatter. Um, there's a lot more dialogue. It's, it's talky and slow at times. But it's really fascinating, some of the parallels between the two movies. That, and it doesn't necessarily hit you over the head. I, I like that it's, it's, it's subtle in some ways. Um, another thing that's kind of interesting about this movie is it takes place in 1918, which is at the beginning of Spanish influenza. And so the characters actually wear masks and talk about the pandemic um, in a non-ironic way, although I'm sure it is. I'm, I'm winking at the camera a little bit. Mia Goth is amazing in this movie. I've always, um, I don't know. I mean, she's been in some good movies before, particularly Nymphomaniac, but I've never really seen her like really step out and give a great performance in anything. And she is you know, uh, she's like, she's passable in X, but she's part of the ensemble cast. She's in every scene of Pearl, and she gives some amazing monologues in it. Um, the first 45 minutes of this movie was a four-star movie. It doesn't quite get the landing, um, but I love the vibe of it. It's just so different and so unusual. The closest kind of thing that I could think of is a little bit like Joker. It's an origin story about a strange character, and there's some strange comic undercurrents of it. I'm giving it three and a half stars. I like it more than X. But these are two really good movies, and I really like uh, Ty West as a filmmaker. I like this um, you know, world that he's created of bizarre, strange characters in Texas, and there's sort of overlapping themes in each. And um, I applaud A24 for making it. It's kind of the movie that I wish Bodies, Bodies, Bodies had been. Um, Ty West actually executes it in both these movies. So Pearl is awesome. I really enjoyed it. I wanted to yeah. see it, but I I, did, I really didn't have time. But yeah, I really was a fan <laughs> of X too, so. It's quite possibly the most Adam movie. X is possibly the most Adam movie ever made. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to see X, didn't... Uh didn't get to it when it came out so uh when pearl came around i knew i needed to see x first so i didn't i didn't try that hard to to try and see it all right my turn so i've got two movies to talk about first my oscar movie <clears throat> and then part two of my double feature with uh with what we uh with what we're gonna do as our featured review here but first the oscar movie going back 10 years to 2012 this is a uh a foreign film nominee out of Denmark. 
I don't know if any of you know what it is, but I'm just throwing it out there. I, I will give you one guess at who stars in it if it is a foreign movie made in the last 20 years out of Denmark. Any guesses? Skarsgård? Guess? That is a good guess. No, Mods Mikkelsen is in it. Oh. Uh, it's called A Royal Affair. And oh. it's uh, it's Mods Mikkelsen and Alicia Vikander before anybody knew who she was. Uh, she actually had to learn Danish to be in this movie. And the other uh, the other main lead is uh, Mikkel Bo Folsgaard. Uh, it was written and directed by Nicolaj Arcel, who before this was probably most known for writing the screenplay for the original Girl with a Dragon Tattoo with Nomi Rapace. Um, this uh, goes back and tells the based on a true story of um, of Christian the Seventh, the King of Denmark, who's played by Folsgard, uh, who kind of has a screw loose a little bit like looking back on it, people say he was probably somewhere on the autism spectrum. Uh, he, uh, he was just off. And one of the things that they decided he needed is he needed his own personal, uh, his own personal uh, physician. Uh, so they go out and they find this physician in the country somewhere played by mods Mickelson. And they really, he understands him well enough to know how to deal with him and how to become like basically his best friend. Elisa Vikander plays the uh, the British woman who Christian marries as queen and uh, is the the mother of his children and all of this stuff. And what ends up developing is this love triangle between the three of them where uh, Elisa Vikander kind of hates her husband, but falls for his best friend. And uh, they basically try to take over the country and rule it together. Uh, around the king because the king doesn't know what he's doing and the uh, the the government there is all corrupt and uh, just in it for themselves and all that. Uh, it, it really is a fascinating story and it's done really well. Uh, Mickelson and Vikander especially are amazing in this as they always are. Uh, it, uh, yeah, it's uh, it kind of has, as you can imagine, a story like this, if it's based on a true story, has a little bit of a tragic ending to it. And it plays it really well. You really uh, start to care for these characters. It has some interesting twists and turns. I liked it. Three stars on a, on a royal affair. It's definitely worth checking out if you can get a chance to see it. So moving on to my uh, my recent movie. I love that we're all reviewing movies that uh, were other movies that came out this weekend because so much came out this weekend. And so when I was looking at what I was going to see as part two of my double feature on Friday night, I, I saw an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And so I went and saw Moon Age Daydream, the uh, David Bowie documentary in IMAX. And I uh, even, even came away with this this lovely poster here. Moon Age Daydream. That nice. was great. Um, yeah. I honestly think this might have been the first movie I've ever seen in IMAX. Um, I I don't I don't know why. I just never got to an IMAX theater before. Um, maybe like a nature documentary when I was a kid, but that was about it. So uh, so yeah, so Moon Age Daydream, it is all archival footage of like of concerts and interviews with David Bowie. He is he is the only one on screen unless there's someone that is interviewing him. He is the only voice you hear. 
he is the only thing you have on there. Um, this movie, I, I wanted, I was like, dude, this is going to be like the psychedelic, just like dive into one of the more interesting artists of, you know, of, you know, the last a hundred years. This is going to be, this is going to be fascinating. And it was, it was, um, I've never been high, but I feel like the closest I've ever been to being high is watching moon age daydream on, in IMAX. Um, it was like an assault on your senses and, uh, just with, with the visuals and the sound and everything going on as only David Bowie, I'm sure would want it to be, uh, at the same time, I'm not like a huge David Bowie fan. I didn't know a ton of his music going in. I didn't know a a ton about him. Uh, I was in it more for just the experience. And it's one that with, it was kind of sensory overload at times. I pulled a little bit of a Zach. I may have started falling asleep a little bit at times because nice it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's concert footage and it's philosophical babble from David Bowie, which was interesting, but for two hours and 17 minutes, it's kind of a lot. Um, unless it's like your thing. And I was in a crowd with a bunch of people who I could tell it was their thing, but, uh, I'm giving it three stars just for the experience alone. Uh, I, and yeah, if I, I'm glad that that was like my first IMAX experience was something so like over the top, insane, like just visually and artistically like that. I mean, it, it made it worth it. Cool. Nice. I feel like a lot of people say they're huge David Bowie fans, but I don't know how many people actually are. My biggest frame of reference of David Bowie is when uh, Lester Banks tells young William to write a piece on uh, Lou Reed and William says, well, he's trying to be the new Bowie and he should just be himself. Was Lou Reed in this movie by chance? Probably not. No, it was just David Bowie. Like literally that was it. That was all you saw. That's all you heard. I don't know where they got all this archival footage, but it was pretty great. Okay. So that's what we've been watching. A lot of recent stuff, but let's talk about our featured review. Because the movie we did watch all together and are going to talk about is another thing that came out in theaters this weekend. And it is The Woman King. They will not stop until the whole of Africa is theirs. We must fight back for our people. Maneska, you are asking me to take them to war. War. Some things worth fighting for and we're gonna go to zach first on this one zach tell us all about the woman king and what you thought all right well the woman king is the new film uh by gina prince by the wood who is the director of uh, the old guard which we reviewed but also um in my opinion some better movies she did uh beyond the lights and the secret life of bees and probably my favorite of her movies is love and basketball recently released on criterion collection um the uh, Woman King stars uh, Viola Davis as, uh, uh, well, and these names I'm going to butcher, so just be, be ready. Uh, um, Nazniska, I believe. Nazniska, is, is, yeah. Nazniska is, is her name, and she is a uh, general in the West African kingdom of Dahomey in the 1820s, a time when there's a lot of uh, colonization happening among European uh, invaders who are taking um, members of her tribe captive and other tribes in West Africa. And uh, she's the woman king. She leads this all-female uh, 
Fox Force 5 army. Now, they're not quite Fox Force 5 because none of them tell jokes. But um, they do have uh, some really cool, badass kind of, uh, you know, um, agility and uh, warrior skills. And uh, they're basically uh, King John Boyega's best uh, effort at uh, repelling the European invaders. So that's one strand of the movie. Another strand of the movie, this is a very kind of complex story. You got a lot of things going on. You have this younger character, and her name is uh, uh, Nauri, I believe. And uh, Nowie. she, Nauri, excuse me. And she has been um, kind of cast away by her father. She's, I think, 19 years old. And uh, because she refuses to get married, and so she kind of shows up at the palace one day and says, uh, I don't want to be some, some guy's wife. I'd rather join. Uh, this band of warriors. And so reluctantly, Viola Davis kind of takes her under her wing. And then the third strand of the movie is that we get these series of invaders, um, some of whom are white, uh, one of whom um, is uh, half white, half black. Um, and it's kind of the, um, I don't know, the the, the fragile relationship between um, the, these West African tribes who uh, are strapped right now, they need to do trading with the European colonizers, but they obviously don't want to give up members of their tribe uh, as slaves. And so there's definitely some political kind of background and intrigue going on in this story. Um, there's a lot going on here. Uh, Gina Prince, by the way, has talked about how she was influenced by movies like Gladiator and Braveheart and Last of the Mohicans as this sort of grand epic a uh, story from the past where it's a warrior clan and it's about a code of honor. Um, obviously, those movies were with largely white male casts. And so this movie differentiates itself by being a mostly black, mostly female cast. And uh, I think for the most part, I like this movie. Um, there's a lot going on. I, I'm a little bit skeptical and dubious about the historical accuracy of this movie, but I don't really think this movie tries to be a History Channel documentary. I think it's much more in the vein of trying to entertain people as well as inform. At the centerpiece of this movie is a pretty awesome performance by Viola Davis. Uh, she's not necessarily the main character, even though she is the titular character. She does get, there's a lot of time spent on some of the side characters, but we learn about the relationship between uh, Naniska and Nawi uh, as it per goes along in the movie. There's some there's some elements of it that are a little bit hard to believe. You have to suspend your disbelief at times. And, you know, there's a there's a character uh, or two that uh, kind of looks like he came out of a, a, a paperback romance novel when his shirt comes off. Um, but uh, for the most part, um, I did find myself in, in, interested in this movie. I did not fall asleep during this movie, which is, I guess, surprising, considering that it's, again, a lot of characters, a lot of backstory, and it does kind of go into the politics of this kingdom. Um, and so if you're not really following the plot, it might get a little bit easy to get lost. But fortunately, there are, I think, more than enough battle scenes to kind of compensate. Um, I think John Boyega is maybe one of the quiet MVPs of this movie. He's actually really funny. Um, I love his rapport that he has with uh, with his wives and how he's basically this Pontius Pilate type ruler who doesn't have any sort of um, real compass. He has to rely on the women in his court to uh, give him sort of uh, military and political strategy. Um, and I think he's really good in that role. It's sort of a, a different kind of role for John Boyega. And unlike Todd has said, I think John Boyega is a really good actor, even though I haven't seen that movie that you guys have disagreed about. On the whole... Um, I would have liked maybe a more robustly historically accurate movie. Sometimes this movie delves, it feels a little bit like a Disney movie. Um, 
And it actually, I told my wife, it kind of felt like every 90s Disney animated movie at one point. There's a little bit of Mulan. There's a little bit of uh, 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 Lion King. And there's also a little bit of, uh, uh, what's the other one? Hercules, maybe. I don't know. Um, I like this movie. Pocahontas, for sure. I like this movie. I give it three stars. It's not a great movie. Not going to be a movie that wins Viola her second Oscar. But I think her and Meryl Streep are our best living actors. And anytime a movie co comes out with her in it, it's it's an event. So uh, I liked it. Three stars for The Woman King. All right. Three stars from Zach. Todd, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, I like this more than Zach did. I, I, think, I think it's impeccably directed. And Viola Davis is amazing. She's Her character... I feel like it's pro she's probably like 20 years too old for it, but she kicks absolute ass and she looks incredible. I I, I never saw that coming from Viola Davis. And Fuso Mbedu, I think she is really good too. She's so good that I thought I maybe had seen her before, but I really, really hadn't. Uh, Sheila Atim is a standout, but I thought it was Michaela Cole the entire movie. Uh, Lashana Lynch is, is awesome. She's sort of like the Michelle Yeoh of the, of the movie or something like that. She You can't, you can't take her eyes off her. She's amazing. John Boyega is fine, but the role is clearly written for like Chadwick Boseman or maybe Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, the action scenes really work. It definitely has a lot of gladiator in there, and it pushes the PG-13 basically as far as it could possibly go with violence. Um, it, it, the setup of the movie is really cool because it reminded me of an old samurai movie. Like the code that the villagers live by, the extensive training they're going through, the actual sets looked like samurai movie sets. It, it, it takes inspiration from a lot of these other things, but I think it's actually better than almost any other of those big epics from the past. Like, it's not my genre, but I think this movie's pretty incredible. Historical inaccuracies or whatever, I, it doesn't matter. Like, this movie's a banger, and it doesn't stop. It's a really fast 135 minutes. I, I kind of wanted another 20, 25 minutes to explain a few things and dig a little deeper into some of these side characters that we don't get all that much from. I never actually expected that I was going to say I wanted it to be longer, though. Like, when I was watching it, I noticed there was about 20 minutes left in the movie, and I still felt like there was so much that had to happen. I never think that. It's a three-and-a-half-star movie, one of the best movies of the year. Wow. Nice. Okay. So, three stars from Zach, three-and-a-half from Todd. Are we going to be thrice approved? Yes. So so here's the thing. Going into this, like, I, I texted Todd this earlier this, this week. Like, we're, we were on after our podcast last week, and we were deciding what we were going to be reviewing and i think it was zach that said well obviously we're going to review the woman king and i went really obviously because this was maybe like my fourth or fifth most anticipated of the weekend in theaters like i don't know the trailer just didn't do it for me and for whatever reason we got inundated with this over and over and over again in whenever we saw a movie the woman king trailer was there um, so I was like, all right, I'll go into it and I'll, I'll watch it. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. I loved it. I'm, I'm going three and a half stars as well. Uh, I agree with everything you guys have said. Um, I, I am one that, uh, I mean, historical accuracy, there's always going to be a bit of that in whatever, you know, Hollywood reenactment there's going to be. Uh, but yeah, I, I loved it. And I, I'm Todd shouted out a, a few of the actors. Viola Davis was great. I loved Lashana Lynch in this. I mean, she is showing that she's pretty awesome in whatever she does, whether it's, you know, the first time we saw her was Captain Marvel. And then we just saw her in no time to die last year. And, and now she's got this and she is like potentially a, a bona fide action superstar in the making. Uh, if she just keeps going the way she's going and, uh, and she, 
Todd talked about how, or no, Zach talked about how John Boyega was was funny in this. I thought I thought Lashana Lynch was hilarious and really stole the show, and uh, and the rest were great too. But she was really the standout for me. Uh, it it's one Zach said it kind of felt like every Disney movie at times, and it kind of did. But at the same time, it never really compromised on where it was going and what it was doing. Like there was the Disney Hollywood ending to this that it didn't take, which I kind of respected it for even more. Uh, yeah, it's a great movie. Three and a half stars. It was surprisingly great. That's what I'll say. Yeah, one of the things that I liked about it that Todd mentioned was it really does push the PG-13 rating. Like, it's a pretty graphic movie, and um, it also uses very little CGI. Like, these actors got up for this movie, man. They were, like, all all in on it. There's some great hand-to-hand combat sequences in this movie. The training sequences are pretty cool. There's very little reliance on guns, uh, even though guns are in the movie. But I mean, it's like it's hand to hand combat and it's pretty kick ass. And um, again, even if even if you're not intrigued by all the political background of it, or maybe if you do think that the movie should be more historically grounded, the action sequences more than make up for it. When I say that, uh, I don't really have a problem with it being historically inaccurate. I guess a part of me wants to know a little bit more about the history and less on the romance between Naoi and Malik. I, that would be, be the, the way I would phrase it. It's not, it's not a historical accuracy thing. It's more of a, this, the romantic subplot maybe seems a little bit forced. But you know what? Who cares? It's, it, that, those, even those scenes, you could see that there was a chemistry between the two characters. Well, I know there was some controversy with it of, of some of the historical accuracy or inaccuracy or, you know, what what accent they're using. I mean, who who cares? I mean, it's a movie that's that's talking about a time that was almost 200 years ago. Just I mean, just enjoy the entertainment of them telling this story that has been forgotten to time. Stop Very worrying true. about how how uh, if it really got everything perfectly right. Yeah, I hate very, that stuff. Very true. This movie outperformed its box office expectations. I don't know if you guys saw that. It made about twenty million dollars this weekend. Yeah, led and the box office, right? You got to think that it must have been quite a task for Gene and Prince by the Wood to to uh, pitch this movie and get funding for it. It's not based on any previous IP. It takes place in the eighteen twenties in West Africa, um, and it's 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 an achievement for sure. And I think quietly, she's one of the the better filmmakers of, of this, uh, of this millennium. She's, she's, she's really impressive. I wonder, I, I want to know how much Maria Bello had to do with getting the movie sold. Cause she's co screenplay credited and a producer. So, yeah. So, I mean, maybe, maybe she used her clout, although I'm not really sure what she's doing now, but her and Viola Davis together probably were able to sell the movie. Yeah. So yeah, woman King, 19 million, uh, took number one, number two at the box office with all the new stuff out. Number two at the box office was Barbarian, barely dropping at all uh, in its second weekend. Pearl was three. See how they run, which is the one I st- I haven't seen that I'm want to watch the most was four. Bullet Train five. Top Gun Maverick still made two point two. It see I don't know six. why they don't report Clerks three. Maybe it's because it's a Fathom Events thing and it isn't officially box office. But yeah, that would be on in the top five. I'm sure. Moon Age Daydream, 10th, 1.2 million. I don't know about you guys. I feel like any movie that now just goes directly to theaters gets like an automatic half-star bump for me. Like this this movie kicked ass on the big screen and it wouldn't have been the same on Netflix. 
All right, the, the, you, you've done a complete 180 on that then because a lot of the time you're like, okay, this is, a, this is an okay movie, but I had to spend money to go see it. I had to go see it in the theaters. If this was a Netflix movie, I would have given it a half star higher because I could have watched it from home. I think it depends on the genre, though. Like, this is obviously okay. an, an action movie with big set pieces and big choreography. So I think there are there are times when Netflix is fine, but this is a movie that demanded the big screen treatment. And usually for action movies that are on the big screen, you say it looks it looks like it was made for Netflix or something. So this one this does is not. A, this one is different. Yeah, this one yeah, does. This one looks yeah. great. I, I, I would say I think uh, her last movie, The Old Guard, might have uh, played a little better on the big screen. Yes, agreed. Although that was that movie, that movie was like right in the middle of the pandemic. That was, was like uh, there was you know nothing to do whatsoever. So yeah, and I think the the plan for that all the whole time was straight to Netflix, anyways. So all right, well we have a thrice approved movie. It has been a while since we have, but the Woman King is thrice approved. It's number one in the box office. Go check it out. And again. You, you heard us talk about it. Even if it's something that doesn't necessarily look like your thing, there is something in this movie for everyone. Uh, check it out. It is going to be worth it. Three stars from Zach, three and a half from Todd, three and a half from me. Uh, guys, we're thrice approved on something. We're we're agreeing. This doesn't happen. It was better... a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's kind of, it was going to be hard not to agree on this one. 77 on Metacritic. So... I... Do you guys feel like if this had been a December release, it would be more of an Oscar movie? Like, I think it's a little bit unfortunate about the timing. I, I think it might get some a... tax. I don't think it matters necessarily. It wasn't Gladiator released in like February. I mean, like these kind of movies, if time, they're though. good, they, they get remembered. I think it was released in June. I, I would be really interested in the Lashana Lynch uh, supporting actors campaign. That would be awesome. That would be cool. That'd be cool. All right. Well, let's move on. It is now time for the main event. Our, our deep dive this week is celebrating the 25th anniversary of a, a classic comedy, at least classic to us. It is Liar Liar. All he can do is tell the truth. Like the new jazz? Whatever takes the focus off your head. The whole truth. You know why I pulled you over? I change lanes without signaling while running a red light and speeding. And nothing but the truth. It was me! Your wish came true. You mean you have to tell the truth? How are we doing this morning, Consul? I'm a little upset about a bad sexual episode I had last night. Starring Jim Carrey, about the exact opposite of The Woman King as you could possibly get, but we talk about movies no matter what they are. So, we're talking Liar Liar the rest of the time. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Zach, I believe you are hosting Trivia. I am yes. Uh, well, since this was Terry's uh, film, I'm gonna let's uh, let's start with Todd. So we'll we'll cast Terry off away, and he will return imminently. All right. See ya. Okay. Uh, all right, Todd. Uh, questions for liar, liar. I have eleven questions worth. I don't know how many points. We'll see. Um, okay. Not an easy movie to do questions for. This was my first time watching it in probably twenty years. So. Uh, I apologize in advance. Uh, first question. What is Jerry's job? Um, hospital administrator. That is correct. You're on the board. Uh, okay. This question 
You have to get all parts of this next question correct to get points. And it's worth two points. Uh, who are the two basketball, baseball players mentioned by Max? And more importantly, what teams did they play for in 1997? Uh, Jose Canseco on the A's and Hideo on the Dodgers. That is correct. Nicely done. Uh, so two points for that question. Uh, what time does Max make his wish? 8.15. 8.15 is correct. What is the name of the guy who that Fletcher cannot remember the name of? Is that even said in the movie? It is said in the movie. It's said the first time that uh, they, they see each other. I mean, I only... Randy? Randy is correct. Okay. <laughs> big brain on Brett. Uh, you're five for five. Uh, how much does it cost to get Fletcher's car from impounding? And we'll go whoever's closer on this. We'll get the point. It's like $1,634.11. Okay, that's pretty close. Uh, the, the, the right answer is $1,654.11. So... You're $20 off. We'll see how close Terry gets. Uh, what is the airline that they're flying to Boston? On? Tower Air? Correct. Very noticeable fake airline. I, I liked it. <laughs> um, what book does the kindergarten teacher read from in Max's class when Fletcher arrives? Green Eggs and Ham. Nice. Uh, what is the name of Fletcher's client who knocked over another ATM at Knife Point? It's like skull. Skull is correct. Okay. You're yeah, you could you could run the table. You're three away from running the table. Uh okay. Name all the insults that Fletcher has for Mr. Allen. And I count one, two, three, four, five, five, up to five points for this one. Pontificating pretentious bastard, a belligerent old fool, and a worthless steaming pile of cow dung, figuratively speaking. Okay, so I wrote down pontificating and pretentious bastard is different. So I'll give you two points for that. And a belligerent old fart, I guess, because fool is what they yeah, say on not, TV. Which cool. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a point for that. And worthless steaming pile of cow dung is, is correct as well. The only one you missed was pedantic. Pedantic. Oh, okay. All right. What was Gene Siskel's biggest criticism of this movie? And again, I, I will be open to giving it the point to whoever gets it closer that they both gave that... a thumbs up it's got two thumbs up by the way i think it was the first uh jim carrey movie got two thumbs up but he criticized it yes of course if it's not fargo it's getting criticized um i don't know it's got to be the post credit scenes that is correct no way <laughs> that he he didn't like the bloopers at the end. I'm just going to give you a point for that because that was impressive. Wait, that wasn't the answer though. No, that, that is the answer. He didn't like the bloopers at the end. Wow. He's like, yeah, this is a great movie. I hated the bloopers. Like, what? What's your problem, man? Um, and then the last question is: Speaking of the bloopers, uh, what animal does Jim Carrey make out of origami in the outtakes? A goose. Okay, I think history has been made on this podcast. I well, think I didn't get the the number right, but. Well, you still and might get one. points for it. 
you missed one of the insults, but I think I think that was <laughs> as close to someone running the table as ever. All right, we're back with uh with Terry. Did I win? Uh, no, you have your your work cut out for you. Todd pretty much ran the table. I th- I think there there could have been a couple more points that he could have gotten, but I think he got all eleven questions right in some form or another. Okay, which I believe is historic on this podcast. Uh, there's still one question that remains to be answered, but there's eleven questions, and I count somehow thirteen points. Although I feel okay. like it's more, but yeah, I, there's more than that. Okay. Well, we'll see. All right. So first question, uh, what is Jerry's job? He is a hospital administrator. That is correct. Next question is worth two points. Uh, who are the two baseball players mentioned by Max, and what teams did they play for in 1997? It's Hideo Nomo for, I believe he was still a Dodger, and Canseco would have been, oh, in 97, the Rangers? That is incorrect. He was oh. on the A's. So he was t- still on the A's in 97? He, he went back to the went A's for one A's. season. So, okay, if this does get close, I'm going to remember that Todd got that right. But anyway, you, I'll give you one point for that. Um, at what time does to- does Max make his wish? 8.15. Uh, that is correct. What is Come the name? on now. I know. Well, hey, I wrote these questions as the movie was going along. I didn't realize that that would be referenced multiple times later on in the movie. Uh, what is the name of the guy who that Fletcher can't remember the name of? Oh, um, Todd got this one too. He pulled it out of his ass. It was impressive. The what, Larry? Randy. Randy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You're not. Hey, you're not too important enough to remember. Exactly. Yeah. How much does it cost to retrieve Fletcher's car from impounding? And I'll, I'll take whoever gets the number closer. $1,648.32. All right. You were a little closer than Todd. Todd said... Uh, but 11 cents is so... She says that so matter of fact. The correct answer is 1654.11. And what did Todd, Todd said, say? 1634. Oh, and I said 1648, so I'm closer. But I was I had those cents right. <laughs> you did have the cents right. Uh what airline are they flying to Boston? Tower Air. That was one of the things I noticed very distinctly this yeah, time watching it. It'd be hard to not notice that. What is the book that the kindergarten teacher reads in Max's class when Fletcher arrives? Green Eggs and Ham. That's correct. What is the name of Fletcher's client who knocks over another ATM at knife point? Oh, what's the name of the guy? Um, uh, Barry. No, Skull. Skull. Oh, you gotta get a little I, more. Uh, gosh, a little I more ominous. That. I knew that. Gosh, uh, dang it! I knew yeah, that. Like I knew sna- that. Snake on The Simpsons. Um, okay, name all the insults that Fletcher has for Mr. Allen, and I count five of them. So you can get up to five points on this. All right. He, he's a pedantic, pontificating, pretentious bastard. Uh, uh, something. Three. Yeah, and then it's a... Uh, a something old fart, or something fart... 
uh, and a steaming pile of cow dung. Figuratively, Figuratively speaking. speaking. Yeah. But there's okay. something else with the fart. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. Uh, it's belligerent old fart. Belligerent old and fart. And he's a worthless steaming pile of cow dung. So I'm, I'm going to give you three points for that. Okay. Um, okay. What was Gene Siskel's biggest criticism of this movie? And somehow Todd knew this too, even though he, he had not seen. My guess movie. is it's misogynistic. Uh, no, Gene. <laughs> I mean, even though that may be the case, Gene, who gave this movie thumbs up, I think it was the first time Roger and Gene ever gave a Jim Carrey movie thumbs up, uh, two thumbs up. Gene did not like the bloopers at the end. Oh, that's Which, also pedantic, pontificating pile of cow dung reasoning. Um, and then the last uh, question is. What animal does Jim Carrey make origami out of in the outtakes? A goose. That is correct. So uh, with a commanding final score of 13 to 9, Todd wins, although I think he got even more points than that. And uh, I got to say, I, Terry picked this movie, but I think Todd is the expert at it. That's That, that was impressive. There he were a couple ones. The names, the names I, got, I was a little off on. He got Randy. He got Skull. He got the fact that Hunt, uh, Jose Canseco was on the A's. I mean, bravo, man. Yeah, Hats he probably off. just didn't that realize was... he ever moved from the A's. I, that's my guess. I don't know. I mean, I I guess, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't give it that much thought, honestly. See, I was going to say A's, but I'm like, but wait a second. 97, that's a little late for his A's run. No, he yeah. was on a lot of teams. He was on the Red Sox, I think, the year before. And I think he made, he was he made on a comeback with the Devil Rays. Or the Devil Rays. Yeah, I think that was the next year. Yeah, Lou Pinella. Yeah. He had like 30 home runs for the Devil Rays. All right. Well, let's talk about it. I'm the one that picked it, so I'm going to start talking about it. For some insane reason, apparently I gave this two and a half stars, which is in which is not true. This is like this is like a three, three and a half star movie. This might be one of the more beloved like 90s comedies that I can think of in my brain. Um, I don't remember when I watched this for the first time, but this is one of those movies that I feel like it was either always on or we always turned it on. Um, I think I can quote this movie almost better than any other movie. Like outside of Apollo 13, this might be the next movie that I could quote the best. I watched it last night and I was, I was quoting like every line and I haven't seen this movie in 10 years. Um, it, it's it, it is. And it might be the movie I quote the most. I realized that as I was watching this too, like there were so many random little things in this movie that I quote that I never realized that I'm actually quoting from this movie until I watched it this time. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. It's it's Jim Carrey at at his most Jim Carrey. Uh, it is uh, it, at the same time. It's like heartfelt and sweet. I, I was watching it last night and I, I was I figured this is like liar liar is to Jim Carrey like Big Daddy is to Adam Sandler. Right. This is where this is where like his, his what he brings to the table as a comedian meets like warm heartfelt family drama at the same time and this is where they like mesh together the best um this is also a perfect example of what we don't have anymore in hollywood this is the perfect example of and i, I realize this in trying to recast it which we'll get to in a little bit and also 
just thinking in general about this movie. This movie was made for the pure fact of giving Jim Carrey something to do. Like this, this was uh, all right. We're gonna we we we're we need a new Jim Carrey movie. How about we make him a lawyer that can't lie? And that the, and then and then we we got this movie. Like this this is a Jim Carrey movie. This isn't a movie that that cast Jim Carrey. This is a Jim Carrey movie. Uh, and uh, and because of that, I mean, it's written for him, and you can tell. And it's it's meant to be his vehicle, his thing. So yeah, I love this movie. It, it is it is one of the more nostalgia m- movies that uh, is that I hold dear. So I and I remember and I, Todd, I think I mentioned this to you recently. I remember this was a movie where we were at one point being really weird and nerdy and geeky, and we we were deciding, you know what what we should do is we should record the audio to movies onto cassette tapes, and then we could listen to them when we're off other places, because, you know, there were no cell phones at the time when this came out and all this stuff. We had the VHS. It's like, well, what movie should we start with? Well, what's going to be the most interesting movie to listen to? Just the audio. Liar, liar. So this was the first, and I think only movie we did this with, where we recorded the audio to Liar, Liar. And uh, and I think there's still a cassette tape somewhere around the house that where we just sat our Walkman in front of the speaker to the television while we played the VHS and, uh, and we watched it silently so that we would have no disruptions on our audio recording of liar, liar. So that that's how, that's how much we nerded out about this movie. Todd, do you remember doing that? Not really, but it does <laughs> sound something that is totally on par with things that we did. <laughs> that, that that's, that's next level teenage degenerate plucknet household stuff there. So, so Todd, I'm sure your experience is somewhat shared as to mine. Yeah, I've seen this movie a ton. It's, yeah, it's one of those movies that was on TV a lot. And all these, all the 90s like courtroom movies are just super rewatchable. And I've seen them all so many times. You know, if it's A Few Good Men or even Big Daddy, you could say in that or My Cousin Vinny. And of course, this movie, I... I watched the movie too, and like like you said, like I knew every line before it was said. I knew lines like a scene before they even come on. <laughs> I I know that I know this movie really well, and I, I it is Jim Carrey doing, in some ways, a version of Lloyd Christmas. Like that, he does a lot of physical comedy and facial expressions that are very Lloyd, but he's also doing, like. This yeah, this other thing where he's like has a really big heart, but and then there's things that are, are also funny that you come up with when you've seen it a million times. Like when he's getting out of the duffel bag at the airport, it is like exactly the scene where he's getting out of the rhino's ass and <laughs> when nature calls. Yeah, uh, I don't know what same director. And by the way, I I did read um, before that this movie actually was written for Steve Martin or Eddie Murphy. And then oh, wow. Jim Carrey came on later and brought his director from Ace Ventura. Tom Shadiak. Yeah. And that's uh, that's how the movie really got made. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't remember a time when I hadn't seen this movie. And obviously I would have been nine or something when the first time I saw it, if we even saw it in 97. But I feel like I've, I, it's always been a part of my life. Yeah, yeah. I'm right there with you with knowing all the knowing all the quotes and... Uh knowing them before they come on 
I don't know. I I was I I was as I was watching it, I felt the closest relative to Fletcher Reed in in the uh, in the Jim Carrey filmography is Stanley Ipkiss. Because he's just kind of he's he's just kind of turns out to be this lovable loser that with random outbursts of of insanity. So, (laughs) Zach, what's your uh, what's your thoughts on Liar Liar? Well, it's certainly not been a part of my life the way it has for you guys, although I suppose that's justification a little bit for uh, me indulging myself two weeks ago with my best friend's wedding. I, I think actually really what Julia Roberts was to my best friend's wedding, Jim Carrey was to this movie. This was kind of returning to the formula that made him successful, working with the director that made him a breakout star, because the, the, the two years prior to this were, you know, Batman Forever, which... Well, he was fine, but he certainly wasn't the lead character. And then the cable guy, which was, you know, the controversial departure from his mainstay type role, playing more of a psychotic maniac um, in a movie that I think is is more remembered fondly today than it was when it was initially released. Um, I don't know. I I saw this movie uh, probably a couple times when I was uh, growing up. I was never a huge Jim Carrey fan. I uh, I certainly liked the, the Jim Carrey I know is more Truman Show, Eternal Sunshine, even majestic Jim Carrey. But uh, this is you know this is certainly him in a in a classic vein. I think the thing that was most impressive for me watching it again is kind of like what you were talking about, Terry. This is such a vehicle for for Jim Carrey. I mean, there's not a whole lot of story here. There's a there's a formula and there's a plot, but it's not it's it's not going to win a, an Academy Award anytime soon for its screenplay. I think. Jim Carrey maybe was deserving of an Oscar nomination because as we all know, comedy is more difficult to play than drama. And I feel like it's the performance that is probably maybe aged a little better than Jack Nicholson for as good as it gets. I mean, come on, that's just, that feels like Jack sleepwalking through that role. This was uh, a role that obviously for Jim Carrey demanded incredible physical stamina, um, incredible mental acuity, uh, you know, um, ad-libbing consistently and also demanded an extremely ca- patient cast and crew. I mean, those bloopers are actually really interesting in showing that, you know, think of all the film that was wasted uh, working through his ad-libbing. The only other actor that could have gotten away with that at that time was, of course, Robin Williams. Yeah. And according to the, even though all the actors are laughing at him in the bloopers and it looks very friendly, you, in the IMDb trivia page, it says that they were pretty infuriated by him, which, which would make sense. And it would also make sense that it would, <laughs> it would it would run run long and run expensive because you'd have to pay for all that film stock that was wasted. So now now today is probably ironically a, a, an easier time for a character to go off for an actor to go off script because you're just shooting it digitally and so who cares? But uh, it's a funny movie. I thought a lot about, you know, the kind of physical uh, humor that we don't see a lot in movies anymore. I mean, there's times in this movie that it feels like it could have been a Chaplin or Keaton character. The scene where he's beating himself up in the bathroom is just sort of virtuoso acting. I mean, it, it's kind of incredible to watch. <laughs> I was like our number one bathroom scene <laughs> when we did that power rankings. Oh is yeah, that, I I had not I had not remembered that scene, but that clearly deserves a place on the. It also deserves a place on probably the maybe the best scenes that Jim Carrey has ever acted in. There's several examples here, um, but it was certainly funny. It, I don't know if it's a great movie, but it's a reminder about what. What being a leading man, a leading comic actor in Hollywood used to look like. And uh, I guess I am a little nostalgic for for those old kind of Jim Carrey roles. I think I remember hearing that at the end of the bathroom scene, the last like throw against the wall and landing on the floor 
Like you can audibly hear his head crack on the on the tile floor, and he like gave himself a concussion from it. I think I remember hearing that. Somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it is a really awkward land. Like he he jumps from too far away. He barely hits the wall, and then he just kind of crumbles. <laughs> See, and I feel like I feel like Jim Carrey. That was he was in in the wrong generation because if an actor did that today, you know, if Jared Leto did that today, or Ryan Gosling or someone, they would call it brave. You know, he's putting his body, selflessly putting his body on the line for for the performance. Back then, we didn't appreciate it for what it was. We just thought, you know, maybe a, a, a Robin Williams wannabe. But uh, I mean, I think that takes a lot of hard work and stamina. And so, I, I watching it today, I think that that's pretty impressive and ages well, pretty see, well. These kind of movies aren't really made anymore. Like this, this movie was nominated for Best Actor at the Golden Globes. And comedies aren't represented at the Golden Globes anymore. It's always comedy dramas or definitely anything involving music. But an actual comedic lead performance is never the thing that gets, gets in there anymore. And this is a truly comedy role that... I mean, I think it absolutely deserves it. And like, like Zach said, probably he probably should have been nominated at the Oscars because it, it is something so singular to Jim Carrey. Yeah, I mean, th- this is his movie. Uh, in, in, in a way that few other movies are like completely one actor's movie. Outside of something like Castaway, where it's literally only one actor on screen. Or the David Bowie documentary. Well, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> The David Bowie documentary. Can we recast Fletcher as by as David Bowie? It's David Bowie. <laughs> I mean, we could try. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's keep talking about this and everything about Liar Liar. We're gonna do a Mount Rushmore here, and I believe our Mount Rushmore is is movie lawyers, right? Right. That's what we decided M- on. Movie liars. Movie movie liars. Lawyer. Oh, you you mean a, a lawyer. <laughs> okay. Uh Todd, you're gonna go first with your submission. Uh who's your submission for uh movie lawyer? Um, I mean, there's some good ones. It, it's gonna be it would be hard not to say Daniel Caffey, uh, Tom Cruise, and a few good men. It is another just killer performance a lot of yelling in the courtroom which i i, I watched a youtube video once where it was a, a a judge or something was watching or like courtroom dramas or courtroom uh, movie clips and um criticizing them and he, he's when uh, a few good men came up he's like he's yelling in the courtroom you don't do that and i'm like well then i mean liar liar is pretty much completely inaccurate then but Daniel Daniel Caffey does that too. Uh, he's a great lawyer. He's a he's a hot shot. I mean, he's he's basically, you know, Maverick in a courtroom in it, which is just brilliant. And uh, <laughs> it's Tom Cruise, and I've seen that movie a million times too. I like that. That that's a good call. That's a good call. Zach, you're next. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go with a character who from a movie that. I would like to deep dive before this calendar year ends, although I don't know if we're going to get to it. From 1982, maybe yeah. my favorite 1982 movie, Paul Newman as Frank Galvin in The Verdict. I mean, this guy is the ultimate down-on-his-luck lawyer. He hasn't had a, you know, to, to paraphrase Jake LaMotta, you know, he hasn't had a winner in 10 years or whatever. 
He's, uh, you know, drinking alcoholic drinks at the bar with a pinball machine and putting an egg on them at the beginning of the movie. And uh, he gets this wonderful case kind of thrown at his feet. He could just opt out and cash in on the settlement that the Catholic Church gives him. And he decides to, for some reason, grow a moral compass and uh, actually go to go to trial against these devious uh, Catholic uh, physicians. Uh, also featuring Todd's all-time number one best supporting actress performance, uh, Lindsay Krauss. Uh, but I would still say uh, Paul Newman is the tr- is the true star of that movie, and uh, he's I think he's the greatest movie lawyer of all time. If we're gonna go with Tom Cruise movie lawyers, I would go with The Firm. He would he, uh, Tom Cruise and The Firm would be in my top five because he does backflips in the city of Memphis. Tried, <laughs> I, I don't see Tom Cruise doing that in A Few Good Men, but. I suppose he he did play basketball in that movie, so that's and softball, yeah, and softball. No, he doesn't play basketball. The... He watch he watches Kevin Jack, Bacon play basketball. Jack plays yeah. uh, okay. basketball. I believe he actually plays basketball with the judge with the judges at the beginning of uh, the firm, but this needs to be more deeply investigated. I have never seen the firm. Well, it's a, it's it's thirty years next year, baby. We're doing a yep. deep dive of that for sure. Because I, as much as you've seen A Few Good Men, I've seen The Firm. Okay. It's not a very rewatchable movie. It's, it is, it's a classic Zach rewatchable movie in that I doze off after an hour. I don't really know how the movie ends. <laughs> so that's kind of why I want to rewatch it to actually find out if he wins or if he saves the day or not. But the first hour is pretty amazing. Zach, I had you at like two to one for picking Elle Woods for... Oh no! Or... I knew it was gonna. I, I almost asked. I almost when I went to him, I said, yeah, Zach, "Tell me about the verdict." Uh, I almost said that. Terry was not. Legally Blonde wanna... is a total Zach thing to bring up. It though. is. It is. A, it is. A, it, it's on my honorable mentions, and I do want to discuss Legally Blonde because there are some eerie similarities between Liar Liar and Legally Blonde. But that, see that. that's neither here nor there. But uh, yeah, no, you got to you got to go, Frank Alvin. He's he's the man. The Eric Roberts right. of lawyers. Well, now it's to me. And I mean, yeah, I, I kind of have to go with, uh, you know, the character I named my kid after. Yeah. Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, and, Atticus and it, from Nine Inch Nails? I thought yeah, no, no. Oh, okay. But it, it's, it's, almost, it's almost hard to go with that because I feel like it's more iconic of a book character than a movie character. However, for a legendary actor like Gregory Peck, this is his best performance. This is the his most iconic performance. This is the performance he's remembered for. And the fact that he was able to beat out Peter O'Toole and Lawrence of Arabia that year shows just how strong of a performance it was. Um, it and it's it's one of the I, we named uh, we named our son Atticus because he is. Atticus Finch is one of the most virtuous and upright characters in all of literature and cinema in what he does in that, in that the throughout the course of To Kill a Mockingbird and how he interacts with his children, how he handles himself in the courtroom, how he stands up for the people who no one stands up for. It's Atticus Finch. Yes. They, they, they talk about that in the first scene of almost famous. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah. So Atticus Finch is my pick. So we've got we've got Daniel Caffey. 
we have uh, we have Frank Galvin, we have Atticus Finch. We have to agree on one. Now, just just so we're clear, we're talking movie lawyers because obviously Saul Goodman would be on this list if we were including TV. But it's True. it's too much of a low hanging fruit. I think I think so. It got to be yeah. for movies. I mean, I think Fletcher has to be on this list, right? Oh yeah. man, I don't know. Well, let's I only hear have a couple one. others even. Even Let's hear your honorable things. mentions. I have several honorable mentions, but go ahead. Uh, well, I have, of course, my cousin Vinny, Vinny Gambini. Yeah. Um, I have Martin Vale, Marty Vale from uh, Primal Fear, which is another one of those movies I've seen a ton. Um, Catherine Murphy, which is Kelly McGillis' character in The Accused, which I always thought was a really underrated movie and a really good performance. And I also kind of want to say Tom Hagen, even though he's not necessarily a lawyer, but a consigliere is sort of a lawyer. So if he counts, then he would certainly need to be on there who was that tom hagan oh, okay yes of course all right uh zach what are what are your the ones you're thinking of i had ian holm in the suite hereafter l woods uh tom wilkinson and michael clayton um alec baldwin and my sister's keeper the guy has a heart attack in court that's pretty impressive um, and he brings a dog in too. Underrated movie, by the way. Um, Sean Penn in Carlito's Way. Howard Duff as Shaughnessy, the asshole lawyer in Kramer versus Kramer, who has the audacity to charge him five thousand dollars, even though he loses the case and is a jerk to uh, Meryl Streep on the court on the court stand. And then finally, Matt Damon as the fake attorney in The Departed, who comes in to the uh, interrogation and is like, uh, tell, tell mother. I won't be home for supper, and uh, yeah, basically gets uh, Costello out of a out of a big uh, d big uh, doo doo right there, steaming pile of cow dung. So uh, Matt Damon, also Matt Damon in the Rainmaker, can't forget that character, even though I've never seen that movie. All right, so some of the ones I was thinking of: uh, Al Pacino in Injustice for All. This whole courtroom's out of order. Uh, you got you got to think about that one. Um, Andrew Beckett in Philadelphia. Oh, great one! Is a is another great one, and Denzel in, in Philadelphia yeah. too. Uh, and then uh, Matthew McConaughey in Time to Kill, a forgotten classic. I've but I've always loved that movie, and I think it's it's the first time we see what he can actually do as an actor. Uh, but but my top honorable mention is Aaron Brockovich. But she's not a lawyer, though. Ish. Oh. Yeah. At best, she's a paralegal. That's true. Albert Finney is the Albert lawyer. Albert Finney is the lawyer. That's true. All right. Fine. So we can't go with her. What are we thinking? Who do we want to go with here? Fletcher. I mean, <laughs> Audrey. The truth shall set you free. By the way, another one, if we could go with TV lawyers, Harmon Rab would definitely be on that list from JAG. Or uh, what's the man. one from Seinfeld? Uh... Jackie Childs. Jackie Childs, yeah. There you go. Or Harvey Johnny Birdman. Cochran, I mean, Jackie, Jackie Childs. Harvey what? Birdman, attorney at law. That uh, that show on, cartoon, on Adult Swim. Never mind. Oh, okay. Maybe Adams watched that. I like I like Jackie. I mean, if we're going into TV lawyers, then we got to talk about you know Ali McBeal 
and uh, Dylan McDermott on the practice. And uh, that's a whole that's a whole different terrain. I think we got to exclude TV. I think so, too. Everyone on Law and Order. <laughs> uh, all right. Who do we want to go with? And then, oh, obviously, David Strathairn in that dumb movie we watched this summer, The Kindly Southern Lawyer, who gets oh, her off. Oh, um, though, spoiler alert, she's guilty. Yeah. Gets her off. <laughs> well, he gets me <laughs> off every time with those suspenders <laughs> and that warm Southern drawl. Uh... <laughs> He's been ridden more than Seattle slew, I tell you what. That was my <laughs> line of the day, by the way. I... No, that was a great line. That's a great. There's so many great lines in that, though. All right. All right, what, what, what's our non-negotiable? Todd says Fletcher. I, I'm okay with that. I would lean more to like Al Pacino in Injustice for All or Andrew Beckett. I was thinking Andrew Beckett, even though quietly Denzel feels like a better lawyer in that movie. Well, he's the one that actually name. tries a case. What is his name? Oh, God. I, I think that should be that should exclude him. When you say it, I'm gonna know it right away. Yeah, I'm looking it up here. I had a list of like best movie lawyers pulled up, and Andrew Beckett was on it. And then I'm like, oh, but oh, Joe, he's Joe not something. Joe something. It is so memorable. Joe Miller. Yeah, Joe Miller. That's <laughs> Joe Miller. However, he, he's the, got like the most memorable line in it. Donnie Explain Brasco's it to me like I'm seven. Joe Let's Stone th- is Donnie Brasco's real name, but I'm I glad you we, said Brasco. I think we got to go with Tom Hagen if we're if we're serious. I mean, that's that's kind of a no brainer as well. I, if we're if we're counting Tom Hagen, I am I am fully on board with that. Tom Let's Hagen was the I Ching of lawyers. I mean, he inspired Saul Goodman. What what Tom Hagen was to the Corleones, Saul Goodman is to the Albuquerque meth scene. So. I think he deserves okay. a spot. He does say that in the classroom. All right. Tom Hagen, I, it's it's written down, so let it be written, so let it be done. However, uh, the William Howard Taft is Saul Goodman. <laughs> it, it's just it's just happening. He doesn't appear in El Camino, so we can't even count it that way. I don't care. He gets an honorable mention, like, like an, a non-negotiable honorable mention. Better call Saul! Fletcher has a demeanor and narcissism in certain scenes where it reminded me of watching Jimmy McGill and Better Call Saul and like pleading with everybody, especially when he's like pleading with Audrey to take him back. I'm like, this is totally Better Call Saul. And there had to be some inspiration taken from Liar Liar. I got to say, I'm a little disappointed by our movie lawyer list. I mean, these are good ones. Over under, we're going to have like three and a half that we come up with after this airs that... uh we forgot to mention I mean, it's possible there have to be you can't several other argue good with ones. those though like tom cruise a few good men um atticus finch frank galvin the verdict i mean you can't argue with the- tom hagan robert duvall <laughs> i mean <laughs> he was also a judge too later in his life <laughs> i i heard it's impressive a titular one the judge the judge <laughs> Okay, we should have done so best movie it. judges. Now that's the, that's the bigger argument with this movie, and maybe I'm showing my cards a little bit here, but I think the judge in this movie could be a top Mount Rushmore movie judge. He's fantastic. I, I that, think he's I definitely think the, on the, the Fred Gwynn Hall of Fame of movie judges. I think the judge in this is basically playing the same character as the judge in A Few Good Men. 
Like they could basically be the same character. They have the same, a similar demeanor, a similar rapport with the courtroom. I think yeah. he's basically the same character as Stanley Hudson on The Office. All that's missing is a crossword puzzle. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, let's do some recasting here. Uh, if this movie were made today, who would be in it? Starting with Fletcher Reed. Played by Jim Carrey. We're going to start with Zach. All right, I, I had four. Um, I, I'll, I'll read the three I didn't choose. I went with uh, John Mulaney, Kumail Nanjiani, and randomly Lynn uh, manuel Miranda. I don't know why, but I think he could probably do it. I think those are the all one, too old. The one I went with was Bo Burnham. <laughs> okay, that's actually really good. I think he could do physical comedy, intellectual comedy, and then break out a keyboard and start singing. I can't I like see it. it. I can't see it at all. I can kind of see it. Well, right, I'll did, go next. Okay. Go go ahead. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say, did you like any of those other ones? I mean, I was real. You got to go with someone from the comedy realm, I think, because some of this, uh, so much of this movie feels improvised, and like you actually have to be a funny person, you know. So like, well, Jane, John works, but I mean, I think all of those guys are too old. Yeah, that that's Bo the Burnham's problem. just thirty. Someone... He just turned thirty. I mean, Bo Burnham's the right age-ish, the right age-ish, but those other guys are like, I think they're, I mean, Jim Carrey's about 33, 30, 35 when he did 35. this. 35, he was 35 when this was made. I, and and I, we kind of talked about this too. Part of the problem with this, though, is there are no longer any physical comedians. Like, there's nobody that does this anymore. Like, the last person that could do something like this is like, like if Will Ferrell made this 20 years ago Jack or, Black. or Jack Black, exactly. And like the school of rock days made this, but nobody in their thirties is a physical comedian anymore. They're, they're all John Mulaney's. Yeah. So That's fair. It, it, it makes it kind of hard to, hard to recast it. I went with someone that I could just simply see in that role, but they're way too old. But I think, I think this person could do it. I went with Neil Patrick Harris. Because I could see them have the demeanor. I could see them lose their crap the way that Fletcher does. I could see uh, I could see him being able to have some improv- improvisational skills that is required to play a character like that and carry a character like that. But even he doesn't fit. I I, I don't know. This was like this is like the hardest recast we've ever had is recasting Fletcher. I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, it's up there. It, like, for, I mean, the the one I thought of that I, I wanted to use, but I recast in the, one of the last movies that we recast we, is Jim Cummings, of course, friend of the podcast. I think it would be fascinating watch him as a lawyer. And he, he, he could do it. He, he could totally do it, too, I think. I mean, I don't know what he actually can do, but I, I in my mind, he can do anything. But the other one, I mean, it's hard not to go with a sitcom actor because, I mean, there really aren't any comedies in, in the movies anymore. And... Uh, I, I, I said John Barinholtz, like Ike Barinholtz's little brother. He was in a show called Superstore, and he does a lot of physical comedy in that. And I, I think he he kind of has the right persona for it, but it really isn't the same. Jim Cummings works more, but I really did. I think I said that he should have been Donnie Brasco, which <laughs> I still kind of like too. Is it weird when I hear Jim Cummings? I I think I know who Jim Cummings is, but the next person I think of every time is Will Forte. 
Like I think, and w- w- okay. by the way, I think Will Forte could have could have nailed this too. He's more of a subtle comedian, though. Maybe Remote, maybe like a maybe like a Bill Hader. I can see Bill Hader do it. Well, I was thinking Jason Siegel. Yeah, Jason Siegel. I was thinking him too. But then he'd have to do a naked scene. This is a PG thirteen movie. <laughs> there, well, there is a sex scene. That's true. What about Sasha Baron Cohen? <laughs> That's not bad. I mean, he's probably yeah. the closest thing to a physical comedian nowadays. Or what about Steve-O? I mean, I'm, I'm always more like Steve-O. It'd be more like Rebel Wilson or something to be the, the physical comedian that would do it. Uh, that was another thing I was thinking is is who would do it, like, if it went the female route? Like, it would be it would be like a Rebel Wilson or a Kate McKinnon, someone like that, pulling this up. Like, I could see Kate McKinnon owning a role like this. All right. Well, let's move on. Next, we have Audrey, played by Maura Tierney. Zach, what do you got? Uh, I went with uh, Martha McIsaac, who played Becca in Superbad. Because I don't know anything <laughs> she's done the last 15 years. And I thought, why not make this interesting? I, this is a pretty thankless role. So let's let's get I Becca mean, back on. Most, she was in most some movie this... that I saw. I was like... It was like Barely. a horror movie. Yeah, she, Last House on the Left, apparently, and she's mm-hmm. also in Battle of the Sexes, but uh, not not a whole lot. She's been she played the airport announcer as a voice on Family Guy. Pretty much every store, other role that. in this yeah. movie is a thankless role next to Fletcher. That's true. Um, okay, I, I'm starting my next beer, and I'm switching it up. I got to tell you guys, it's that time of year. It's time for the pumpkin ale. I mean, it's a little early. We're it's what, it. September, September 17th. Yeah, I'm going with it. I'm going with it. And this is, I mean, it's rogue. It's good. It's good beer. Fairly strong. 6.1. I've had, I've tried this one already. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It, it's got a, just a little bit of the spiciness to it. Okay. Uh, my Audrey. So here's what I thought of with this. More tyranny at this point was known mainly for TV. She had done news radio. She was about to do ER. So I went with a television actress. Uh, so I went with Rachel Brosnahan. Yeah, but the pro- the problem with it is, like, I was thinking, like, a bigger actor as well. But this role would diminish their talent. Like, Rachel Brosnahan is legitimately talented. She should have, she does have her own show. So <laughs> unless you're prepared to make this role bigger, then I don't think you should cast anyone of note in it. Yeah, well, maybe someone a, a little, a little smaller time from the a, most from a recent sitcom or something. The most noteworthy thing about Mara Tierney, besides the fact that apparently Bonnie Hunt was unavailable to play this role, was that she kind of looks like a young Jennifer Aniston. Oh yeah, she's so, totally doing the Rachel Green. Like she right. has the same hair yeah. and everything. So if you but that was if, kind of always her thing. Like that was always her look, always her thing. Right. She's got the same sort of uh, affect as well. So you could go with someone who looks like maybe someone on TV, but I don't think you could cast a serious, like a seriously big actor like Rachel Brosnahan in this role. But see, after this was over, she went on, went on and did 200 episodes of ER. She had done a hundred episodes of news radio. Like it wasn't like she was a known, like I remember watching this movie and be like, Oh yeah, her, like she wasn't like a complete unknown. I knew who she was. 
and I, I may have just gone with someone who was who was a star of a sitcom instead of going with someone who was a supporting character because she was more supporting in news radio. But I remember her in that show and she was funny. Yeah, I was for me, I don't think it. this was I don't <laughs> think this was easy to recast. Honestly, it's it, the role isn't that difficult, but Mortini has something about her like she just is so likable and she doesn't do anything too much. She's just like. I don't know if she makes that character way more interesting than it should be. I said Kat Dennings with, with, I mean, it's not perfect, but I, I think she has a lot of the facial expressions and a lot of the inherent just like ability that, that more tyranny has. So That's not bad. That's not bad. Since I have an older Fletcher, I could have gone with an older actress and gone with like Julie Bowen. That would have been interesting. That'd be about right. It would be. It would be. And I mean, and she played like the romantic interest in a 90s comedy. So why don't we go with Neil Patrick Harris and Julie Bowen? And could we make Little Max like 17 years old in your version? There we go. Now we're talking. Maximilian. Maximilian. I I, I was waiting for the, the trivia question of uh, of what are the nicknames for Max? Because Fletcher calls him creep and Jerry calls him the Gipper. Speaking of Jerry, let's recast him. When he said Jerry he calls him by... Max. He's totally like Max out or something. He calls him at one point or something <laughs> or know. true Max or. So Jerry played by Carrie Elwes. Uh, Zach, who do you got? Uh, I went with Sebastian Stan because he can do anything. And I'd like to see him in the kind of Tommy Lee role. I'd like for him to interpret this role with a little bit more color and, and flavor and maybe a dialogue with his penis. And um, yeah, I, I, I think he could do it. I think Sebastian Stam is, is this generation's greatest supporting actor. So uh, he could probably do this role in his sleep. And uh, he's amazing. The claw. Yeah. No. So what I was thinking of with this was uh, I was trying to think of someone who, like, who did something like ten or fifteen years ago and hasn't really been heard from much since. And I couldn't really come up with a good one, but that was one thing I was thinking with Carrie Elwes because, like, Carrie Elwes was Princess Bride, and then he did this. But the next thing I was thinking of was, I mean, Jerry in this movie, he's. He is the the averagest of average guys, right? I mean, he's he's good looking, not great looking. He's got a good job, not a great job. He he's he's got a good personality, not a great personality. Like he is a he is as boring as can be, okay. but safe. So I went with someone who I think kind of looks like Carrie Elwes, but I think could also portray that. I went with Jonathan Groff. That's what I said too. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, because he, he is similarly su- super corny and and yes. just like bland, especially in like the Matrix movie and stuff like that. That was what I was going for. Like when oh, I was the Matrix Carol. movie, that's perfect. That's a perfect. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't even seen it, but just him in the trailer, like that. That's Jerry. But it's Carrie Elwes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good choice, uh, Terry. <laughs> I, you too, Todd. That's well the most done. random agreement we ever had. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like him. He looks like him. That's hilarious. Zach, you've been outvoted. That's okay. I like your pick better. <laughs> I, I like Sebastian Stam as Fletcher, maybe. I, I'm going to change my, oh, my, I my could, vote. Maybe. I could see that. 
Well, if you take like like Chris Evans and made him Fletcher, I thought about Chris Evans, but he, I don't know if he's funny or not. He's never particularly said or done anything funny in any movie. I don't know. He told don't like ten people to eat shit and Knives Out. That was pretty funny. He was pretty funny in Cellular with Kim Basinger, but that was he's funny like and not another teen ago. movie. Yeah, it twenty per- years ago, he the was perfect funny. score. Yes, the perfect score, and of course, Fantastic Four, like that. Scarlett Johansson. Er, early two thousands, uh, Chris Evans is the Darius Miles. <laughs> All right, uh, Samantha Cole, brought to us by World Series of Poker uh, bracelet winner Jennifer yes. Tilly. You like that? Nice. I like that. Who's like sixty three years old now? Like I was looking that up. Like I, I couldn't believe how, uh, how old she's she is now, because uh, she still looks great. But uh, Zach, who do you got? This was the easiest recasting. The problem with it is that if I really did cast this actress in this role, I'd want the whole movie to be about her. And that is Riley Keough. I, I would want her to show up in a bikini a la, uh, you know, um, uh, gosh, now I'm blanking on the movies that she does. Zola. American, American Honey and Zola. Yeah, maybe a flag bikini. And she her, has two her kids. From, oh, yeah, I think that's very believable. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe that she probably lied about her, her date of birth. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's fun. Yeah, Riley Keough, for sure. No-brainer. I, I think I have the no-brainer. I've got a couple written down because I, I think the one actually can't happen. But when you're thinking about um, a, a beautiful, uh, curvaceous, voluptuous woman in a courtroom, how can you not think of Amber Heard right now? Hmm. That so, would be very topical. That would be very topical, but that doesn't really work anymore, so I went with Megan Fox instead. No, I like Amber Heard better. It would be <laughs> nice for some PTSD flashbacks, and maybe Johnny Depp? Old Johnny Depp is Fletcher Reed, because obviously, I mean, he was probably too stoned and drunk to to lie, or, or to not lie. No, Johnny Depp would just be the de- the the uh, the husband sitting uh, <laughs> sitting without any lines. Yeah, like ha- be comatose. Have you have you? I, I was I was thinking about this. Have you ever seen a movie where you've got like the supporting the supporting male there sitting there without a single line? Like his only line is uh, "That's okay" when he's talking to his kids. That's the only time he opens his mouth the entire movie. No, he says, "I, I didn't know she was underage." Oh, that's right. That's right. Kind of under his breath, but yeah. All right. Todd, who do you have? I said Lindsay Lohan. Uh, oh, nice. They're that's, all kind that's of on good. a similar, similar well, way. She, she has that like really raspy voice that, that Jennifer Tilly kind of perfects in this. And I, it, it really has been forever uh, since we've seen her do anything. And I, I don't think that role is necessarily that hard to play. And I, it'd be fascinating to watch someone like her uh, go toe to toe with Jim Cummings. <laughs> <sighs> All right. The last one we have Greta played by the late Anne Haney. Zach. Uh well originally I went with uh Lois Smith, aka Dr. Hinneman <laughs> from Minority Report and Aunt Meg from Twister. But according to her IMDB, she's 92 years old. So I don't know if she's doing that much these days. <laughs> Well, this um, is what makes this one hardest because this this lady was sixty three, and I looked up a list of sixty three year old actresses, and it's people like, I mean, I, I mean, I, I forget, I forget yeah. who was like. I mean, there are people that don't look sixty three. Like, this lady looks like she could be in her eighties. 
But like 70 right. year olds are like right. Sigourney Weaver and stuff. Right. Yeah. 63 year old actresses, Jamie Lee Curtis, Emma Thompson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Megan Mullally, Marcia Gay Harden, Catherine Lee Keener. Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis in, in her role in Everything Everywhere All at Once. That that same wardrobe and costume for this role would be interesting. But no, no multiverse, please. All right. Uh, I went with, uh, I, I, I was like, this is like the perfect spot for a random, uh, a random like big star cameo. Just to have this, this random little role that you can just have some fun with. And if you're going to do that with a role like this, who better than Frances McDormand? I feel like she did play this role in uh, Hail Caesar. It's kind of the same thing. I guess the Coens didn't have to She was like the old curmudgeonly uh, film editor, I believe. All right, Todd, who do you got? Uh, I said Jane Lynch. I I thought (laughs) it's pretty easy for her to do, I think. Yeah. And I realized that I have zero star power in this movie. This movie is never getting made. (laughs) Jim Cummings directs it too, apparently. There we go. There we go. I've I've got one more because I, I had I just have to shout out my wife had this one, uh the first time Miranda the uh his uh Fletcher's boss comes on screen, she went, that today would be played by Catherine Zeta Jones. That's pretty like, good. Yeah, that that's that's pretty spot on right there. Or Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> uh, two uh, in ten years maybe Aubrey Plaza. All right, who would Nicolas Cage play? Well, that's that's maybe the most this is the most obvious Nicolas Cage of all time. Right. Because no who besides Jim Carrey in Robin Williams could have played this role. Nicolas Cage is the third actor who comes to mind. It's possible. Yeah, he, he could have definitely pulled it off at some point. I don't know if he if he would pull off now, but at some point I, I wrote too young at that time. too. Yeah. So maybe early 2000s. If if they did it, uh, if if he, it was made today, I said Nicholas Cage would play Kenneth Falk. <laughs> that would be hilarious. All I have to do is lie. That's easy. I said that Kenneth Falk would be played by uh, Hall uh, Tennis or uh, Poker World Series of Poker champion Rick Solomon, and and <laughs> Hall of Fame sick man Rick Solomon. Perfect. Todd, did you have one? I mean, there aren't that many characters that he could play. I mean, I, I think it'd be funny to see him play Jerry. Like, <laughs> oh, you're scared of the claw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he, he seems like the kind of guy who would give someone a nickname, the Gipper. <laughs> oh, well, well, the Gipper and I have, have a good thing going. Maybe uh, yeah. a, a Charlie and Donald Kaufman thing, like he would it would be a dual role performance. <laughs> I could see that. All right. Uh what does Adam think this movie's about? He he thinks it's a fever pitch style comedy about the Dodgers and the A's World Series culminating in Nomo versus Conseco in game seven. <laughs> I I said that uh that he think by the way, he's seen it and he gave it three stars. But uh, I said he thinks that it is a a sequel to Firestarter, where uh, the girl goes on and finds out her grandfather is Al Pacino, and when uh, they're confronted, she's going to take them all out, and he goes, "Liar, liar! Your pants are on fire!" 
Yeah, I was wondering when that when that was going to come up. Yeah, hour thirty four <laughs> minutes in. That's longer than I thought. <laughs> uh, did you have anything, Zach? I mean, you, you could think this movie is about a lot of things. You could think about it like reverse sexual harassment, a la Michael Douglas and Demi Moore in Disclosure. You could think about this as having the exact same plot as the Santa Claus, which is maybe my my number one conspiracy theory. Um, I think uh, this movie is fundamentally about a a marriage that was made by mistake because the the bride was underage. So maybe he thought it was like a Jerry Lee Lewis kind of thing, like Great Balls of Fire or something. He thinks this movie is about an underage marriage that gets uh, nullified in court. Which it kind of is, actually, if you look at it. It's true. All right. Highest war performance. Are we just going to say highest war performance that's not Jim Carrey? Do, do we could, I mean, built, built like we could that? call it the Jim Carrey liar liar or highest war the performance. Fletcher Reed highest <laughs> war. Uh, we I mean, could, we could but we could. All right. Highest war performance. Uh, Todd, what do you got? Uh, I'll say I'll say more tyranny. Like like I was saying before, I I really I really love her in this role, and I don't know a lot of people that have that just sort of sweetness. And I don't I mean I, everything she does, her facial expressions and stuff, it's just something that I don't really see in anybody other than '90s Jennifer Aniston. So I think I think she is one of the the keys to this movie that will never get credit for being like one of the most important pieces. Very nice. Very nice. Zach, I know you disagree, so uh, who's your highest war? I disagree, Gary. Uh, I'm going with Anne Haney as uh, the original Greta, uh, because I don't know her as Greta. You guys probably know her as Greta. I know her as Mrs. Selner from um, Mrs. Doubtfire, the court liaison, um, which is basically the exact same performance. And if you look at her her, uh, IMDb (laughs) of 90s movies, it's the exact same role in every movie. I mean, she was the president's secretary in The American President. Uh, she was uh, she was a judge on L.A. law, apparently. Um, I think she's always been involved with the legal system in some way or another. Probably could have had her own reality show as a judge. Unfortunately, she did die in 2001. But, uh, I mean, when you're talking secretaries, el- nice elderly matronly secretaries from uh, 90s movies, the, it begins and ends with Anne Haney. Except if you're talking about Lois Smith. <laughs> All right, uh, that, that's a good pick. That's a good pick. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, that that was my other pick. That's a good one. Yeah, not a lot of World Series of Poker bracelet winners like give great performances and stuff. Well, and no one can quite exude the aura she she portrays in this. Just everything from the look to the outfit to the hair to the voice. I think the voice is what sells that performance, and and j- just that that. I mean, that voice that belongs on like a, a 1-900 sex hotline, uh, you know, call-in thing. It, it, it's what or like makes a 1920s play, like her Oscar nomination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what makes it work. And, but she uh, could have been Georgia on Punch Drunk Love is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. That, Georgia that, Peach. Yes. So, uh, so she, like, just that, I found that role hard to hard to recast until i thought of amber heard but <laughs> it, it she's she's just perfect for that for that spot yeah that's okay. definitely her lane 
And but the problem is, and I see I wrote down Mara Tierney is like uh, they hired her because Bonnie Hunt was unavailable. They hired Jennifer Tilly for this movie because Melanie Griffith wasn't wasn't available. But I, in the same breath, you could also say Kathy Moriarty and maybe Debbie Mazar. So it, it wasn't like it was it wasn't like an Anna Haney type performance where she was literally the only one doing that in the 90s. Debbie Mazar is a good call. Well, yeah. I, and Chris Penn would have to be there too with the dogs, you know. <laughs> Maybe like Feruza Balk. The the the, the younger Debbie Mazar, yeah. The, the, the younger <laughs> Debbie Mazar, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, the uh, Bill Paxton Memorial Worst Performance of the Film goes to who, Zach? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, uh, Christopher Meyer as Kenneth Falk. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty bad performance. I mean, what's with that hair? What's with the I hair? Mean, what's with the he earrings? Looks like, he looks like uh, like if Johnny Bravo was 50. Exactly. He looks like he's from another era. It looks like he was hanging out, you know, with uh, with like Frank Sinatra or something. He looks like a crooner. Or he like the like, bad guy in Kindergarten Cop or something like that. Yeah, he <laughs> looks either like a bad 80s villain or like he was in that Nicolas Cage directed movie, Sonny, or something. Like he looks like he's just out of a completely different movie and different world. I, I'm not kidding when I say Rick Solomon should have played that role. I don't believe that he's he, he wants to come off as a stick man. I, I, I'm seeing some very real red flags for a stick man poser. Uh, and uh, I think they just needed to go with a better actor is, is, is the reality. Yeah, if he was a real sick man, he wouldn't have said, I humped her brains out. I don't think those words have ever been said before like that. Uh, I don't think any stick man but would But Nicolas Cage could have sold that line. No stick man in his, his right mind would wear a, uh, a sweater like that. A, a uh, Diane Keaton in what women are in uh, and uh, something, something's got to give sweater. To court. Oh. <laughs> uh. All right, Todd, who do you got? Uh, I mean, this really should be called the Carrie Elwes Worst Performance Award because <laughs> he is probably the worst actress actor that has ever like been an actor. Like, I mean, the first time I saw Saw, I was like, okay, that's the worst actor I've ever seen. And uh, I just realized how bad he is in everything, and especially this movie. I don't think he's supposed to be that Magoo. It's almost like they're making fun of him in that scene because he's that bad. And that just like robotic and not believable. I think Carrie Elvis is awful. Yeah, that's, that's a who... great call. And and Carrie Elvis was also on Seinfeld. <laughs> and I think the problem with him is that he can't do an American accent, even though he tries so often, but it, it never quite works out. I was thinking that this is this role was already played by Judge Reinhold in the Santa Claus. And Judge Reinhold, of course, killed it. So oh, and he was also better call. on Seinfeld than Carrie Elvis was. So uh yeah, it's not fair. I had no idea Carrie Elvis was British, by the way. I didn't know that either. Really? He, <laughs> I, I feel like he drifts in and out of his British accent quite quite frequently in his American accent. By the way, apparently he's uh, in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Coming out next year. Jonathan Groff is the perfect recasting. He's the perfect recasting <laughs> for him. He really is. That's like our best recasting ever. Now, yeah, I had Carrie Elvis written down too. Uh, it was hard to come up with anybody else once I once I had him in my head because, yeah, he sucks. However, I did see on the Liar Liar trivia page that uh, 
Terry Elvis has said people still come up to him today and go, you're scared of the claw. You're scared of the claw. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Let's see here. Next, we've got the amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller Minor Character of the Film Award. Okay. Todd, you go first. I'm trying to find his name. I don't really know, but it's uh, the guy, the baggage taker at the airport. Uh, oh. <laughs> because that guy has the entire flight schedule memorized. Like, yes, he is seriously. way above his pay grade. He's like, when's flight such taking off he's like oh it comes here but you're not going to get through there it takes 30 minutes to get through it's like you're going you go to boston you're going back tomorrow morning on flight such and such it's a baggage taker outside the airport i want to know more about that guy like and why he's still doing that but i I can't find what his actual name is so uh no yeah the baggage taker at the airport yeah that's a that's a good call i like that one i like that one there's so many I want to mention because there's so many just random characters. There's a, uh... well, I'll let, I'll let Zach go first and then I'll go through what, I, what I'll, all the ones I want to mention. Oh, I really only had two. Uh, I couldn't decide though. One of them was obviously uh, Jennifer Tilly um, because she's, she's tremendous. Um, it's the same character as the woman who was on trial in Legally Blonde defended by Elle Woods. It's the exact same trial. Uh, she was having an affair with and she wanted to break off the marriage and get half of his money. Although I believe in that case, she actually murdered her husband. Um, so in a way, that character has already been elaborated on. So the one that I would go with instead is the judge who I mentioned earlier, Judge Marshall Stevens. I mean, I, I love snippy judges. And uh, one of my favorite non Jim Carrey moments of this movie is when Jim Carrey says that he had a bad sexual experience and uh and, and the judge responds, well, you'll get used to that later in life as you get older. And um, yeah, that's more, more of that banter would, would have been kind of fun. It wouldn't have been, it wasn't really what this movie was trying to do, but uh, I, I, I liked that. I appreciated that, that pithy banter there. That's good. I like that. Uh, all right. I've got a few here. I've got um, first off uh, the, the one I couldn't remember. I, I, by the way, it wasn't until trivia that I fully put together that Skull was the one on the phone that he shouts, stop breaking the law, asshole. And that's the same guy that he loaned his uh, his jacket to on the way out of the courtroom. Because he's going to need it again and again. Yeah, you're going to need it again and again and again. Apparently, I didn't know there like was, the there. Yeah, uh, apparently there was a, like a whole opening scene that got cut of Fletcher getting him off in that courtroom uh, before that he comes down the stairs, but it got ended up getting cut. That's why someone as notable as, uh, as, Oh, what was the actor? That, that old Tex that. Cobb. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, he's done some stuff. And so that's why it was someone that notable that was, that was doing it. So he's one that I want to mention. Uh, I love the, the, the beggar on the street. Uh, he, he's awesome. Uh, and, but uh, the other one I want to mention is um what the lady in elevator played by Krista Allen. And the reason uh-huh. I want to mention it is because I remember, I vividly remember the first time I saw this movie, uh, that elevator scene 
I, I hadn't watched a ton of stuff and there's not a ton of people in this that have, that are recognizable faces. I knew Jim Carrey. I knew Maura Tierney and I knew Krista Allen. And the reason I knew her is because our mother was obsessed with the soap opera days of our lives. And, uh, and she started on days of our lives the year before liar, liar, and ended up doing like 415 episodes of days of our lives. And yeah, so when I saw her in the elevator, I'm like, oh, hey, I know her. And it was one of the only people in this movie, like the first time I watched it, that I actually recognized. She had been, she's been in other stuff since, but yeah, that was, yeah. I think that was the first time I, I saw her too. It was weird that, that that was like the, oh, hey, I recognize that person. And it was meant to be just this thankless role, but yeah. So the yeah. like baggage tape taker is he's credited as Skycap, and apparently he was in Anchorman and Almost Famous. <laughs> but I don't remember. He's a, he's apparently he's the principal in Almost Famous. Oh, the one at the graduation. Must okay. be. I was trying to place him, but yeah, that must be where it is. That would that would make sense. One other person I I want to mention is uh let's see here um oh, where did it go where did it go there it is. Uh, conference room attorney, uh, played by Vitamin C, apparently, who's the the singer of the like the stereotypical '90s graduation song. Na, 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 na. Apparently, she's one of the attorneys in the conference room when he's roasting the entire group. And nice. for that fact, Simmons is old. Should have been out of the game years ago, but he can't go home because he hates his wife. His wife's one that gets plastered. <laughs> All right. The Spider Stick Man, Billy Bats Douchebag, and the Robert Forster Memorial Most Punchable Face Award. We'll combine all three of these together into one. Uh, I'll go first. I mean, the Stick Man's got to be Fletcher. He, I mean, he's the one that we know for sure ha- has a moment. He, and we also know that he's had better. So, uh, I think he's got to be the stick man. He's, he was having more sex than his wife was when they were married. <laughs> There's that line too. <laughs> Billy Bats douchebag. You've got to go with his partner, Miranda. Uh, she's kind of horrible, especially when uh, she realizes what's going on and takes her, takes him into the, into the conference room and unplugs the phone while he's in the middle of lying about why he can't go to his son's birthday party. I mean, Really? Uh, and uh, most punchable face has to be Kenneth Falk. <laughs> For all the reasons we've already said. <laughs> Zach, what do you got? I think I'm going to do what you originally suggested and actually combine Stickman, Douchebag, and Punchable Face into one, and that's, of course, Kenneth Falk. <laughs> yeah. He, he also has the nickname. He's like a... he. Ha- how is Kenneth Falk not a running back? You know, Marshall Falk and <laughs> Kenneth Gainwell and Kenneth Davis. And well, there's a Kevin Falk. That's true. That well, maybe that's where I'm getting confused. But uh, yeah, it's it's all it's all Kenneth Falk, and, and that makes me think that he probably is the the most interesting minor character in the movie. I mean, he does kind of show up for one scene, and it's sort of baffling uh, that that he's there. So maybe maybe we want to know more about him. It's just, it, it's, it's just a bad performance, but maybe intentionally. So I don't know, but, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's my pick all in one. 
Is it just me or does Simmons look like the grandpa with the cigar in Christmas Vacation? <laughs> <laughs> kind of does. The only does. the only other douchebag that I thought about mentioning too was the was the mechanic guy who uh, oh, is yeah, responsible Eddie. for the for the crash on his car. Yeah, he totally did like a Ferris Bueller's Day Off kind of like joyride with that car or something and scratched the hell out of it. But he was going to be my douchebag. Nice. A- Go for Eddie it, the mechanic. Uh, my stick, man. I mean, there were two that I was thinking of other than the ones you guys mentioned. One is, of course, Samantha Cole. You know, when, when you have to specify seven single acts of disc- of indiscretion. That's, uh... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and also Max, because, I mean... Fletcher tells him, go into the other room and sue somebody or send a message to all your girlfriends. And, and then he's super sensitive about it. He's like, what are you talking about, dude? All my girlfriends, you can't talk about that. I think he actually does have a bunch of girlfriends. And the most punchable face, I mean, obviously Jerry, just because it's it's Jerry. And I That's also fair. was thinking... That's fair. I was thinking about Max because uh, Jerry does strike the child in, in the face. So <laughs> uh, obviously it must be punchable in some way. And also the, the birthday clown. Because yes. happy, happy, yeah. happy. I wanted to punch him. Like it comes out every time I hear that song. I'm like, why am I watching a stupid clown? <laughs> every time I hear that song, I think it's the Ren and Stimpy saying the happy, 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 <laughs> happy song, and then it's not, and that makes That's me even good. more mad, which makes him even more punchable. I <laughs> thought I thought you could maybe make the case for Max being a douchebag, not the biggest douchebag, but. I mean, come on. He Jim Carrey makes a pretty compelling argument as to why adults need to lie so he can keep his job and uh, you know, keep And make his uh, pregnant wife happy. Yeah, well, and <laughs> all you had to do, kid, was just listen to your dad and have compassion, but uh he couldn't and he couldn't unwish. You can't wasn't... unwish something. If it was that easy, it was like it wasn't even his birthday anymore. He's not going to get granted another wish. Fletcher could have just wished it, and that—I mean—that's a flaw, I think, in the in the whole scenario. So you don't you think it, the whole whole endeavor was futile? Because even if he had been genuine, unwishing is not a real thing. Can we get Idris yeah. Elba in that stupid genie movie to consult on this? Like, <laughs> is unwishing a real thing? You're not because that's just wishing again, and it wasn't his birthday anymore. I'm going to go back and say a. Uh... Someone that should have been mentioned for uh, for uh, worst performance is uh, is Max and Todd. Todd and I have talked about this ever since the first time we watched this movie. For some reason, Max dons a British accent when he asks why they have to go to Boston. Do we have to go to Boston. Do we have to go to Boston? <laughs> he does. He does sound like one of the Seven Up kids. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do we have to go to Boston? <laughs> it's, like, it's like he's auditioning for Oliver Twist when he says that last line. Can I have some more? Do we so have if, to go to Boston? If you're really saying he's British, does that introduce the conspiracy theory that maybe he's Jerry's biological son because <laughs> Jerry Elwes <laughs> is British? Uh, this is good stuff. This is great stuff. I love it. I love it. Uh, what's with that haircut, man? Well, he, he was clearly LVP is the is the hairstylist of the clearly movie. inspired by Justin Henry in Kramer versus Kramer, at which there's a good deal of in this movie, and uh, his name in real life was Justin, so it's like they didn't. I guess they didn't have to look very far. I'm shocked that he wasn't the same little kid in the Santa Claus and the same little kid in every '90s movie. Jerry Maguire and uh, I thought that was all. Phantom the same Menace. Kid. 
Phantom Menace. Well, he, yeah, he he was in Boy Meets World. Global Man, Jingle All the Way, <laughs> Jingle All the Way for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was in Boy Meets World. All right, what's the best scene in this movie, Todd? Um, I I mean, there's a few that you could say. I I love when Fletcher first goes back to the office without being able to lie. Yes. Because I mean him him interacting with all the people he already did, you know, hey, you're not important enough to remember, and you know, like whatever takes the focus off your head. And then it of course is is the the climax is when he's trying to uh say the the pen color and it, it's just that that is Jim Carrey dialing it up to eleven for uh, like a five, six minutes and then it's just glorious. Your cholesterol, fatty! That man walking. <laughs> don't ask. <laughs> oh, God, don't ask. Mark, if you're not careful. <laughs> That's a good call. Zach, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I like a lot of the courtroom scenes. I think that's when the movie is uh, it reaches its apex. Um, I think from like a writing standpoint, I, I, I had not remembered this movie very well. And I was curious how the case would resolve itself um, without requiring Jim Carrey to lie. And I thought it was very clever the way that they wrote that whole exchange. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think that if I'm going to say the best scene, I think it's the, the stuff immediately leading up to it. The uh, the cross section of Kevin Falk and the uh, or Kenneth Falk, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> Kenneth. And, <laughs> and when when he does get Jennifer Tilly on the stand, when he's objecting to himself, uh, it, that's pretty funny. Can't imagine ever topping that. Ken Mattingly, Kenneth Falk. I see what you did oh, there. Conspiracy theory. <laughs> Kenneth Lonergan. Wow. Now we're now we're getting out there. Uh, yeah, there's so many good scenes. I mean, we mentioned the bathroom scene already, which is, which is such a great scene. And and another great minor character is the guy who walks in on him in the bathroom. That's another great one. Uh, I might say, I I was going to say when he first arrives, but I, I love when he realizes he has to tell the truth. And, uh, and, uh, so I'm going to say the conference room scene when he's roasting the entire group. I mean, you got your head so far, Mr. Allen's ass. I don't know where he stops and you begin. I, it's there. Uh, do you do you do you bury carcasses with limes? I I don't. I've never understood that line. <laughs> so I don't know where to scrape it off the road. Bury it with a lime. Like, what what is? I don't mean? know. <laughs> I, I I don't know. My other favorite scene is when he for when he secures his spot as Samantha's attorney, because that, that that whole scene is just. There's no such thing as a weaker sex. He's like, what? <laughs> you know, if Tina Turner said to Ike, "Do it again," Ike put some stank on it, and then he's like, "But now she's beyond Thunderdome." You know, I don't know. He's he's just going. He's going for it. That's a brilliantly written scene. Yeah. I'm sure the 2022 remake would have casual jokes about spousal abuse and reverse sexual harassment and uh, 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 statutory rape and underage marriage. Yes, of course. Of course, of course. All right. Now, this is this is a really important question. What is the regal quote of the movie? 
There's a there's a few. There are a few. I have I have four written down. <laughs> well, well, then let, let's go with you last, Zach. <laughs> okay. What do you have as the regal quote of the movie? I, I want to hear Todd's quotes. Okay, well then I'll go first. Uh, my my the one I came up with is short, shriveled, and always to the left. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> what do you have, Todd? Uh, of course, the pen is blue. Um, I'm Jose Canseco. Baseball stuff. Baseball stuff! And the boss is really riding me. Although I'm not sure where that would fit into the regal scene, but that's just a really funny scene. Or really funny line. I wrote down, the truth shall set you free. That's a good one, too. Oh, yeah. I what? There's so many things I quote from this. But I, I, I can I, I have a I have a coworker that I know I can go up to him at any time and if I ask him how it's how's it hanging he will answer with short shriveled and always to the left. So, you have to. You have to. You have to. Um, stop breaking the law, asshole. That's one of my favorites. Um, Deleted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I re I. Like I said, I never realized just how much I quote this movie all the time, or I think of quotes of this movie. Um, yeah, it, it's it's such me a, too. Yeah, Mexico, Audrey. One one of the things I, I I realize I quote is when I start to stumble over my words. I do what Jim Carrey does in the outtakes when he's on in the scene where he's on his knees. Like if I stumble over my words, I and then and like I was watching oh, you don't the movie. Catch a fish? Yeah, and I'm, I was watching the movie. I'm like, wow, I quote a liar, liar outtake all the time. <laughs> you really think someone in the Regal commercial would say "short, shriveled, and to the left"? That feels <laughs> that feels a little bit risque for the Regal uh, brand. Uh, yeah, it's it's possible. It's possible. Uh, and what are they talking about? Corn dogs or like? Maybe, or may, may, I, I don't know. May, maybe it's maybe it's Danny Trejo talking to his kids, and and he and he says, "You already had one, seven, whatever." Maybe that's the, that's a regal quote. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> if there were a sequel, would there be a sequel? What would be the sequel? I mean, it seems pretty easy to just change the setting and the job and make another one. I mean, it seems like a pretty like fail safe way to make a movie. Someone who can't lie in any job. I think it could still work. Didn't Jim Carrey make a sequel to this called Yes Man? Wasn't that Pretty the much, exact yeah. same premise of this movie? <laughs> Except instead of not lying, he had to say yes to everything. He also does this in Bruce Almighty where he says yes to all the emails. Oh, that's <laughs> that's true. All the prayer emails. Yeah. <laughs> Todd, I thought you were going to bring up your, uh, your uh, pack that you got. To, to watch this in oh well yeah i bought i bought a four it was a four pack of uh dvds for eight dollars on amazon it was liar liar bruce almighty happy gilmore and billy madison i figured that was the best way to do it instead of spending 3.99 to rent it <laughs> it's That's a fair. good it's a good group of four movies yeah this movie i don't know how well this movie survives it's not streaming anywhere um it's it's streaming on TNT and TBS on demand. So if you have cable, those are the channels that always those. played it. Yeah, it That's always it, always played it. Always. All right. 
Um, flaws, outdated conspiracy theories. What do you guys got? Well, well for I've, me, like oh. I've seen this movie, I don't know, probably 40 times. And I think 39 of them were on TV. And so the TV censors out fart with and puts in fool. And that does not... <laughs> I did not even know that he said fart until watching it this time. It's like a miserable, miserable fool is what he, what I always thought he actually said. Um, also, I think if Samantha really wants to get her, her husband where it hurts, like wouldn't she have gotten him for statutory rape for having sex with a minor, like that would have been where it really hurts and not $11,000 a year or something. Um, and I also, uh, I noticed this is just a random thing. When Audrey says for his wish, it could be anything you want, anything in the whole world. She says it the exact same way that Anita tells William Miller that he can go anywhere he wants, anywhere in the whole world, which makes me think Zoe Deschanel could have played that role too. Except she was probably a little young at that point. And a little old now. Yes, I know. And a little old now. Uh, the dog agrees. Zach, what do you got? All right. Um, so uh, I I forgot that Terry was delaying our podcast. So I spent uh, I I got on two hours early. So I had to kill some time, and so I watched a YouTube video called "Real Lawyer Reacts to Liar Liar." It's on a YouTube channel called Legal Eagle, and he has actually it's two parts. He has two thirty-minute videos where he deconstructs the legal basis of this movie, and it has literally three million views. And it it makes me think that more people. Certainly uh, younger than us, younger than 30, have probably seen that than have actually watched Liar Liar. But he goes into some uh, some really nice legal details. I, it does make me wonder that if you're in law school and you want and your aspiration is to become a lawyer and you're getting your legal training from someone deconstructing Liar Liar, that's probably that's probably a red flag. Um, the Universal logo. Love seeing that. Uh, brought back some memories of my Apollo 13 VHS tape. Um, the Imagine logo looks like it, it was stolen from DreamWorks, or I don't know, maybe DreamWorks stole the Imagine logo. I can't decide. I love this. This movie's so nostalgically 90s. Uh, it, it was the golden era of divorced dad movies. Um, I thought of a few like Bye Bye Love, Mrs. Doubtfire, The Parent Trap, Jingle All the Way. The divorced dad with the I'm going to make a wish that my dad can be closer type movies, which is also the Santa Claus. Um, really just a great combination for this. And, and we don't see that uh, anymore because I think today the idea that a dad would um, be too busy working is a foreign idea. I, I think in 2022, it's the opposite. I think most movie TV dads would be just lazy stoners who stay at home all day and do nothing. Um, so maybe that would be the 22 version of Liar Liar where, where dad is just a stay at home dad and, and, and needs some aspirations or some motivation. And then, and then the last thing I have was, I mean, like, uh, it's, um, uh, oh, uh, oh, and I wrote down, it looks like the same office building as what women want. It, it seems like every, it, there's like visual elements of every 90s movie. The last thing I had, I don't know why Paul, uh, Paul Giamatti and Philip Seymour Hoffman are not in this movie, but I want them to be in this movie. And, and that could have been a way to improve this movie. I don't know who they would, could have or would have played. But maybe uh, maybe Paul Giamatti as a bellhop who smokes or something, and Philip Seymour Hoffman as, I don't know, a sweaty guy at the basketball game or something. But we we got to get them in the movie somehow. Well, Giamatti may not have been in Liar Liar, but he was in Big Fat Liar. So That's yeah. true. Uh, all right. I've got a few things written down here. Um, 
First off, why in the world in the courtroom is uh, there a coffee carafe of water on the table? I thought that was that was kind of odd. Why did mm. they put water? What there there are pitchers. You don't have to put water in a coffee carafe. Um, I didn't realize the whole movie takes place in like forty eight hours. Like in a forty eight hour period, they go from uh, from the first moment we see him to him getting a case to him trying the entire case to uh, to Audrey saying it's semi-serious to getting engaged to getting on a plane to fly to Boston to look at apartments. I, th this is a 48-hour period here. Kind of nuts. Uh, and the other thing that I just, I just have to say as a random observation, I, I think I've noticed this before, but every time I see it, I'm shocked. Greta has a ponytail. Like Greta has a braided ponytail that you see like in like her last scene. But before that, it's like it doesn't look like it. And then you see it and like, wait, what? Like she's got hair halfway down her back. That's not what it looks like. Ever. Well, she doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I mean, but still, it's like, what? That that didn't make any sense. That is kind of weird. Yeah. You you don't you her view. Like what you see from the front is not what you would imagine having a braided ponytail down her back, but it kind is of like William H. Macy's hair in Boogie Nights. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Another comparison to Boogie Nights. LVP, MVP, and then let's wrap this thing up. We will. Uh, I'll start this one. My LVP is a uh, hairstylist, real and fake. Uh, first off, you've got you've got the one that that gave Max his haircut, and then uh, Jane's haircut, played brilliantly by Sherry O'Terry, by the way. Yeah, what do you think of my outfit, Mister Reed? Whatever takes the focus off your head. Um, yeah. yeah. So LVP is is the hairstyles, and MVP has to be that famous Nomo slider, and uh, <laughs> and Jose Canseco and his ability to hit it out of the park. I looked it up. Uh, Nomo didn't have a slider. <laughs> <laughs> he had two pitches. <laughs> One of them was it, it was a fastball and a split, I think, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I always it, thought that. I was like, Nomo, <laughs> Nomo doesn't have a famous slider. <laughs> no, no one that throws over the top like Nomo did would have a slider. That makes that's that's true. Wow, I'd never thought of that. My mind is blown. Okay, so then LVP is the writer who thought that Nomo had a slider. And uh, my MVP is just a day on Nomo and Jose Canseco. So, all right, Zach, you're next. Uh, my LVP is Tower Air for not having tighter security. I mean, he he does not have a lot of obstacles getting onto the uh, you know the tarmac there and steal and running off with the staircase. It, it is definitely a pre 9/11 movie. A very pre 9/11 <laughs> environment, absolutely. And then the MVP of this movie is Jim Carrey's jacket. Uh, maybe not so much MVP, but more RIP, because that goes through a lot of uh, a lot of destruction over the course of the movie. So uh, it, it, it does say it's a $900 suit. That's true. That is true. Is that supposed to be that it's really expensive or cheap for a lawyer? Expensive, I, I would think. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I think that's about right. <laughs> he wouldn't, have, I don't know. He wouldn't have said I'm on my knees in a $900 suit if he meant it to be cheap. It's a good conspiracy theory question, though. All right, Todd. I think you got a good deal on it. I don't know. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, 
Uh, my LVP is, of course, Kenneth Falk, because he completely caves. He has one job, and he doesn't do it. <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> and uh, my MVP, I have, I have, a, I have a, a couple. One is uh, one we haven't mentioned, Susie Kurtz, who's the actress oh, who plays the other lawyer. Because she goes toe-to-toe with Carrie, and she is awesome. Um, and the, uh, best the, other... out, the best outtake is when she yells at him, over-actor! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jezebel! Um... Uh, and then the the screenwriters Paul Gouet and Stephen Mazur, but because as we know that Cal says in Forty Year Old Virgin, that's a smart movie uh, when talking about liar liar, and they wrote the movie. But I also saw that Judd Apatow re- did the rewrite of this movie that made it its current form, but he's uncredited because this originally was going to be about a real estate agent, and then uh, Judd Apatow made it to be about a lawyer and wrote, rewrote the movie, but he's not credited with it. So that makes sense why he would say it's a smart movie because he's talking about his own movie. So Judd Apatow really is an MVP too. More, more minds blown. Didn't Judd Apatow, (laughs) you know, rewrite, rewrite every movie in the nineties, every comedy uncredited. Pretty much, pretty much. Smart Uh, movie. Smart movie. All right. Quote of the daytime. Let's wrap this up. Uh, Zach, you're first. I'm going to quote my favorite character in this movie, Judge Marshall Stevens, who says, and it applies to this podcast, it is only out of sheer morbid curiosity that I'm allowing this freak show to continue. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Well played. Well played. Uh, All right. My quote is going to be from from this movie, and it's it's, uh, between Max and Fletcher. And it's when uh, Max is able to ask him anything and he has to tell the truth. And the last one he said, and I didn't really realize what it meant until I, I read this. Uh, he says, if I keep making this face, it will it get stuck that way. And Fletcher says, no, in fact, some people make a good living that way. And he's actually referencing his own career when he says yeah. that. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's re- also referencing this podcast. <laughs> Which is, why, which, which is why we make no money off this podcast. <laughs> uh, we need to make more silly faces. All right, Todd. Uh, my quote comes uh, from a scene involving Kenneth Falk, uh, which, but it's, it's Jim Carrey uh, saying, you know, you had sex with her every chance you did, didn't you? Didn't you? You slammed her. You dunked her donuts. You gave her dog a snossage. You stuffed her like a Thanksgiving turkey. I thought that was going to be a, a trivia question. And... Uh, <laughs> doesn't describe this podcast. I just think it's really funny. You gave her dog a snossage. Gotta use that sometime. I'm pretty sure we did quote of the day in the perfectly reverse order. Zach totally should have ended that, but, you know, we were the ones that knew the movie more, so I had higher hopes for, for how ours would land. Well, I already quoted all my stuff. That's true. That's true. Well, with that, we're gonna draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Jerry, enjoy my wife. Eh? Eh? Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.